3: Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. What's up, y'all? This is Questlove, and this is QLS Classic, in which we here at Questlove Supreme dig into our archives to bring you some amazing stories from past episodes. Uh, This was a really great episode with Ray Parker Jr. talking about his life as a musician, working with Barry White, uh, with Stevie Wonder, with Shaka Khan, uh, hanging with Prince, giving Quincy Jones stories, even, and uh, even Huey Lewis. Uh, this is uh, one for the music fans. We really hope you enjoyed this Quest Love Supreme episode with Ray Parker Jr. So Suprema, Sup,
2: Sup, Suprema, roll call, Suprema. Suprema roll
3: call. Suprema. Sup sup. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Sup sup. Suprema roll call. My name is Questo. Yeah. Is that understood? Yeah. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Bustin' makes me feel good. (laughs) Suprema. Sup
2: sup. Suprema roll call. Suprema. Su- su- suprema roll
4: call my name is fante yeah my favorite album is voodoo yeah cuz that woman needs love yeah just like you do <laughs> Roll <call. laughs> suprema sup sup suprema roll call
2: suprema sup sup suprema
5: roll call my name is sugar yeah i love to ball yeah you know my number yeah so who you gonna call roll call
2: <laughs> suprema sup Sup- suprema roll call. Sup- suprema, sup, sup. Suprema roll call. I'm unpaid bill. Yeah. yeah. There's something strange. Yeah. You stole my shit. <laughs> yeah. And I'm brave. <laughs> roll call. Sup- suprema, sup, sup. Suprema roll call. Suprema, sup, sup. sup- su- suprema roll
6: call. On, my name's- oh.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you better take a bill. What, what? Yeah, Aww. too late, Aww. Roll call, Suprema,
6: sup <laughs> sup
2: su- <laughs> Suprema. Roll call, I'm sorry, Suprema, sup oh. sup Suprema. Okay, Suprema. Roll
1: call. My name's Laia. Yeah. No, I'm not Jill. Yeah. But if I'm with Mr. Parker, yeah, I'll go up any hill.
2: Roll call, oh, Ooh, Suprema, su- 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 sup sup Suprema. Roll, roll call. call, Suprema, sup sup Suprema. 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 Roll
7: call. My name is Ray. Yeah. yeah. Taurus born in May. Yeah. yeah. I'm my love is strong. Yeah. yeah. Grab my guitar, play with it. Suprema, su, su, suprema, roll call. Suprema, Suprema.
6: H suprema roll call. Suprema
2: suprema roll call. Suprema. S Suprema Roll Call.
3: We have an amazing show for you today. Our guest is someone I really wanted to get on the show since we launched it. Uh, He's an incredible, talented singer, songwriter, guitarist, and producer. Uh, He's worked with some true legends of soul, including Mr. Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, Barry White, so many more. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ray Parker Jr. is on the show today. Now, uh, before we bring him on, let's check in quickly with Team Supreme. Um, how, how how you doing, Fonte? Man, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm kind of
4: tired. I think I have decision fatigue. Like I'm, I'm tired of making goddamn decisions. Like I'm, I'm mentally exhausted. I, so now, me and my me and my lady are finally moving into our, our house. And so now you've been I'm moving happy. this house for the longest, right. dude. It's like because it's just been a lot, man. It's been like, well, hell, I ain't been home. I've been running around with y'all all damn week. <laughs> but uh, but no, nah, man. But hey, no, hey, it's just it. that, and then it's like. Changing bills, like getting stuff from your old place to your new place. And, like, I'm working, my lady's working, the kids is working, and it's just just a fucking lot,
3: man. Wait, the kids are working? Get them out of the house. Well, I mean, they're in school, and you know what I'm saying? And, like... Well, this is a question from a person that's not a father. Okay. Okay, so... How? What's the report card system like now? Do they just email you the report? Oh, card? Oh man, yo, the report card system. Do they now, bring it home to you? Nah, nah, oh, it comes straight damn, to, in the mail. It comes straight to your hands, oh, baby. Oh yeah. yes. So no e-mail. more. I can't. I can't. Uh, Ferris Bueller, my way out nope. of the.
4: Nah, bro. Like this, everything is electronic. You can log on. Um, You can see they <laughs> skipping class. You can see like absences, Attentance. tardies they got. Do you live in a police state?
2: <laughs> I think we
3: all live Holy in a police shit. state right now. Okay. yeah, Some man. So
2: serious helicopter parenting right
3: there. All right. I just want to play one Ray Parker Jr. song on radio before he comes in because we need to relax. So he's going to have all these crazy stories to tell us. Uh, I want to play one of my favorite joints off the Two Places at the Same Time record. It's uh, Tonight's Tonight by Ray Parker Jr. and Radio. This quest love supreme only on Pandora.
7: Come on, baby, the mood is right. Mm. If you wanna get down, tonight's the night. <laughs> Tell Thomas Edison, we don't need his light. That's right. And remind Dr. Bell. Not to ring this phone tonight. Sing it right. Oh. Sing it right. Mm-hmm. Oh, Yo, baby. We, we,
3: oh, we got live vocals right here. Right. Yes. Ray Parker Jr., mm-hmm. uh, this is Quest Love Supreme. You wanna lay down? Mm-hmm. tonight's the night. Spike, <laughs> calm down, lot of you. That was tonight's tonight. Ray Parker Jr. radio.
1: With the
3: air conditioning. Here on Quest Love Supreme. <laughs> uh,
7: Yo, this is... There's some story behind that song. You should not let that just drift Oh, I'm I'm never...
3: We want to ask all the stories. (laughs) Um, Every episode is is a blessing, but Mm, this one in particular is like... I mean, this man is the consummate musician, session player, producer, uh, songwriter, personality. I mean, he's one of the coolest people alive. You don't understand. No, I mean, this
4: is real. Not seriously. This is real. Straight up. Straight up. This is up.
3: cool. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome the greatest, Ray Parker Jr. Yes.
7: best love. Thank you, guys. Yes. Good to be here. Thank you.
3: <laughs> Man, this is this is a, a dream. A dream. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for coming uh, to do our show. We are going to ask every question we <laughs> ever <please. laughs> I wanted don't to ask, I. ask you right now. Um, tonight's yeah, tonight. The,
7: the Let's the, get into it. The kid saying. is not my tonight's
3: son. Tonight's Okay, okay. Tell me. <laughs> t- usually I start at the beginning, but tell yeah. what was the story behind tonight's tonight.
7: Tonight it's an interesting song because I don't know if you recall, but I used to play on all the Herbie Hancock records, mm-hmm. and I wrote a lot of songs with Herbie. Yeah. So I was over his house one day, and we were kicking it. And if you know anything about Herbie, he never plays the same thing twice. He just doesn't. He, you know, and his chords change like every half a beat. There's a different chord, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's like going on forever. And he ran across these three chords. I was like, whoa, that works, but you just got to slow it down. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, slow that down. And he said, that ain't working on my song. I said, I ain't talking about your song no more. Like, I'm done with that already. Slow it down. And I had to get him to play the chords in segments where it would just hold for two bars. He says, what do you mean? He says, what, what am I doing for two? I says, you're not doing anything. Just hit the sustain pedal. Just hold it. Let it drift. Wow. And I, I ended up talking to him and I said, you know, I could write a whole song off of that. So what I did is I took his synthesizer mm-hmm. and his Moog, unplugged it from right where we were at his house, which is off of Doheny, put it in my car, put him in the car in front seat, put his <laughs> stuff in the back seat, drove him to my house, to my studio, right? Plugged it back up. I said, "Now I want you to do exactly what you're doing at your house. I just want you to do it like in one twelfth the time. So everything lasts two bars." And he had one hell of a time doing. It. We spent a long time because he just couldn't hold those cords that long. He says, "Man, this is stupid." I said, "Don't worry about the stupidity of it. Just do it <laughs> right. and let that hang." And then. He played the bass on it. Then on the, put oh, the wow. bass on second. He was playing way too many notes for us to slow that down to just do 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 do. You know, which still is a lot for me. Right. But he that's his version of slowed down. Then we took the synthesizers back to his house and finished his song. <laughs> 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 what song nice. was it? I don't know. It Doesn't, <laughs> matter. It doesn't it matter. matter. I just remember tonight. Tonight I was so enthralled with my song. I forgot what we were doing for him. Is yeah. that hard for you to do? Like I, I'm often
3: frustrated because. Obviously, jazz cats have a bigger, wider, expansive vocabulary yeah. than the average musician. So to get them to just simplify, I think it's a pride thing. Like they feel like everything has to be this elaborate, Big production. chromatic, yeah, yeah, knife yeah, exactly. chord thing. And they don't understand the beauty of simplicity. Do you think that's because like they just think they're above pop music or? Yeah,
7: in a sense, they, they, they're like in more notes is more something, you know. I've, I've learned that the less notes you play, the more money you get. You know, like pay for the, <laughs> you pay a lot of money for the space, yeah. you know what I mean? But, you know, it's like, the, you know, most of my friends, and and I started off like this too. I used to play jazz and all and, and the stuff when I was younger. You want to play something that the musician sitting next to you cannot play so it's that kind of a thing like watch me do this run and you can't do this run when actually when you're making music you want to play something that the person next to you can play (laughs) even if they play it bad they want to you make them try to play it so they think I got it I got it you know so it's it's actually the opposite thing. So what you feel is that resistance from people when they locked into jazz and they say, I got it, this is it. They're locked into their world and they just can't see anything else. So they're just over there. You know? okay. I don't even know if they think they're better than anybody. I don't think it's better. I just think they think they're different and they think that the, the, the difference is correct.
3: I also think it's easier for jazz guys to do the more difficult composition stuff, mm-hmm. but it's literally impossible <laughs> for them to play something simple yeah um so i, I want to go back to the beginning you were you're from the d right are I'm you i'm from, from detroit, detroit yeah what part what part of detroit are
7: you the east inner side city. or west side no or i'm west, west side. side west side grand boulevard dexter actually virginia park and dexter okay but i was born halfway between the grandy ballroom and motown really yeah right in the middle i could walk either way if i walked northwest i was going to the grandy ballroom in which I was a kid, not old enough to go in. You could hear Jimi Hendrix playing upstairs, you know, coming out the window. And for those of y'all who don't know, the Grandy Ballroom was like a white rock club in the heart of the ghetto. <laughs> Black people everywhere. <laughs> and it was almost like a, a off, a demilitarized zone they could go to from their cars to the club and back without being harmed
3: without right? being hassled but if they went
7: another block either way that was it you know, or half a block either way and it was like holy sacred ground but it was right in the middle of the ghetto and all of the rock bands would play the Ted Nugent the Amboy Dukes that's when he had a group called the Amboy Dukes and all the rock bands would, were famous for playing here and then if I went the other way it was Northwestern High School which I ended up graduating from and then there was Motown down the street so I could walk to Motown too
3: First of all, was guitar your first instrument? No, no, no. I
7: played clarinet at six years old.
3: I assume that was school?
7: That was elementary school. I had a teacher named Alfred T. Kirby, and he's probably the most important person in my life. Because at five years old, I was in kindergarten, and I hated kindergarten. Cause the gym class didn't have you dance these Russian dances with the girls where you got to change, you know, Aww. partners and all that stuff. Yeah. I wasn't into no girls, you know. That's another story. It took me a long time to find girls. <laughs> <laughs> when I found them, it was when dangerous. You did. <laughs> but you know, so I didn't want to do this. So at the type of person I was, outgoing, at you know, came time for the first grade. Now I'm six years old. I said, I ain't doing it. I- I'm not gonna do it. So I wasn't going to talk to my parents about it because they didn't really know what I was talking about. So I decided to find out who's running this school. And so they told me the principal. I said, well, where is the principal? And so I marched out of class, went to the principal's office and said, look, I ain't digging the gym thing with the dancing with the girls. Is there something else I can do? So the principal looked at me. I'll never forget the look. First of all, the principal said absolutely nothing for maybe, a seemed like 60 seconds. Mm-hmm. Like, is this little kid coming in here talking this crap? Like, you know, so it was like that, more of that. Then the principal said, okay, I got something for you, and took me to the music class. He said, if you don't want to be in this gym class doing these dances, you can take a music class. I said, what's a music class? He said, you pick an instrument, and you go play. Now, what was nice about the music class that I just, this is a God-given, just a gift, is I only had two best friends in the world. That was Nathan and Ollie, and both of them were already in the music class. Ollie Brown the drummer and Nathan Watts Nathan, wow. you went wow. to elementary school with him? absolutely Wow!
3: <laughs> Jesus Christ you
7: serious? yeah so I go to the class I walk into the room there's Nathan playing his trumpet Nathan played the trumpet Ollie was playing the drums but he, at that time he had a snare drum and we hung a cymbal from the ceiling you know. and uh, so the teacher asked me what I want to play well I was a young kid, I wasn't gonna say the tuba, right? Take tuba on. So I wanted to play the flute. And all the girls had taken the flute. So this, I said, what's the next smallest instrument? And the next <laughs> smallest instrument was the clarinet. You know? And so Mr. Kirby, who was a genius guy, I wish I could talk to him now. Mr. Kirby, uh, he looked at me, he says, uh, young man, this is about a week into it. He could see that I was less enthused as Ollie and mm-hmm. uh, Nathan were. He says, we're gonna start a band. And this band is going to be called the Stingrays, which was named after me. Mm-hmm. I didn't figure that out for 20 years, but the band <laughs> was named after me. And you know who else didn't figure it out? Ollie and Nathan. They were too stupid to figure out the band <laughs> hey, had just been named I didn't even after know me. radio was named after you until later. <laughs> <Just So> that's <laughs> a wrong yeah, story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. so, and I think he named it after me because I needed the most, I needed more encouragement than Nathan and Ollie did, you know. And so it was interesting. We, we did uh, parent-teacher conference stuff, orphanages, and a whole bunch of stuff. And our hit song, which was a hit in the neighborhood, local. Local hit. Mm-hmm. It's called Airplane. Crash. <Aladdin sings> <which> euh, you know, and that was it. <laughs> and, yeah, wow. That's the Airplane. <laughs> and man, we were really, we were popular. That's yeah, we excellent
1: for somebody. This is under 10 years old. Six years old. I can't. Yeah. I
7: don't. It's no. Yeah we, were, don't. yeah, we were six years old. Six? We were rocking. <laughs> that's the show, ladies and gentlemen.
4: I was dancing to one of your songs at six, six years old. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is crazy. And so
7: that's how it all began, is on the clarinet. Nathan played the trumpet. Ollie played the drums.
3: Any any other notable uh, session monster musicians also go to the school with you during this time period? That oh yeah, when well, you know
7: Diana Ross went to that school. <laughs> Not when I went. <laughs> Temptations oh. went to that school. Okay. I think uh, yeah, there was a lot. No, this was I mean, a famous casually. area. Yeah, so Diana Ross now, went. what you got a picture? I'm sure you've noticed that a lot of famous people have come out of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Right, it was just a small area, so everybody was going to either that school or the school next to it or Cass Tech or you know, we were all in the same genre, so to speak. Uh, Kevin Tony went to high school with me. He still plays with me now, the guy from the Black Blackbirds. Blackbirds. Yeah. Yeah. Rock Creek Park. Yeah. Doing it. Yeah, he was in we all went to school together. That's we're gonna get to his story for sure. Damn. That's another story too. He's a jazz guy. Okay. And okay. you know, so that's a whole story. But uh and and just to show you the progression, later, we met up with Sylvester Rivers, who was one of our good friends too, who ended up doing all of the piano work at Invictus and Hot Wax and the other stuff. And Sylvester had a band. For the first time, we, had, we we thought we were smoking everybody. I mean, we were jamming. So now let's fast forward. It seemed like 20 years but Eight years old, eight and a half years old. We're going to fast forward to eight and a half years old. The biggest thing that happened at eight and a half years old is we heard Sylvester's band. And Sylvester's band had a bass guitar and he was playing a keyboard. We never really thought about chords. right? We didn't even have a bass drum yet. So all of a sudden now we, we're hearing chords for the first time, and we're hearing the bass note on the bottom. Man, that stuff seemed this big compared to just the trumpet, the clarinet and the snare drum. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So Ollie immediately, you know, I guess his parents borrowed some money and he got a bass drum so he could get some bottom on, it, at least the drum, so he could get a kick going, you know, a foot mm-hmm. going. And uh, I'll never forget Sylvester wanted Ollie to join his band, which was a more sophisticated band because their drummer wasn't happening. And Ollie was on the floor crying, you know, because he didn't want to leave his homies, you know. <laughs> he just, so he's like, okay, I'll never leave. I said, man, you need to leave. I ain't gonna do this anyway. I'm doing something else. I still wasn't committed at that age. Yeah? Right. And uh by that time I was playing a little bit of saxophone, but the big thing, the big life change was my dad bought a Magnavox tape recorder about this big with real to real. And I had the only tape recorder in the neighborhood that was real to real. So you were the studio. I was the studio. Believe it or not, I still like that today. But (laughs) I I was the studio. I had the tape recorder. And my brother had a a cheap box guitar. And I remember I had a Busher busher saxophone. I took my brother's guitar and I put the microphone in the guitar. And it amplified it, right? It was an acoustic guitar, but I put the mic in the Thing, passed the string, stuck it up in there, turned the tape recorder up, and I was like, "Whoa, that's cool sound!" Plus, I got more than one shot. I couldn't play anything; just hit the strings. but it was more than one note at a time. And I was tired of breathing and stuff. Anyway, so Ollie left the band. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't like this breathing. And by the time you know, I was starting to get a little taller, a little more. 10 years old, starting to get a little more handsome, you know, growing a little hair. You, know, just, uh, you were I really
1: still, advanced. Yeah. I ain't
7: found the girls yet, but I'm just saying I was just starting you to. You're growing into your own. Yeah, I'm getting taller, you know, and the little clarinet's getting smaller. I'm getting taller. You know, it's what not happening. So Ollie quit the band and went with Sylvester in the bigger band. So I just decided I'm going to play the guitar. And, you know, and we were still playing together sometimes, but they didn't want me to play the guitar. They wanted me to play the clarinet, you know. And I said, if you don't let me play the guitar, I ain't gonna record y'all. And that's just the way it is, you know. So that's how that went. Okay. So now I'm gonna let y'all take it back over. I'll be talking about it. <laughs> no, that. I, no. This keep is going awesome okay.
3: campfire
4: stories
7: okay. on Questlove's. And we should
3: tell them who
4: Ali, who, who he keeps yeah. uh, the Ali he keeps. <laughs> yeah. Well, now the now everything's
3: coming to me now because yeah. I was trying to figure Ollie out how Ali and Jerry hooked up. Yeah. Yeah. And of course Jerry was also in in yeah, yeah. radio, so. Yeah. That oh yeah, everything. I hooked them up years later. That's way. I yeah. I, exactly. I now see it, but exactly. I don't want to jump that far. I yeah, don't jump that far. So okay, so were you self-taught or did you have formal instruction? Self-taught didn't? on the guitar. And is this normal for everyone in Detroit? Like, am I to think that everyone's a wonderkind prodigy at their instrument?
7: <laughs> it seems you okay. know what? It, yeah, it does seem like it. But let me tell you this: the level of musicianship was so high that before you could even tell anybody you played the instrument, you had to be good. Right. It's just like, uh, I'll never forget, Norm Nixon told me one time, he said, all his guys he went to school with, all six or eight of them went to the NBA because the level of practice that they all commanded from each other, yeah. it was so much higher than when they showed up with everybody else. The whole group was higher. And and I think that's how Detroit was, you know, uh, when I was a young kid, like 14, I'm playing in the, in the, at the 20 grand. Well, you know, James Jameson was sitting next to me. Right? So that's just the way it played. James Jameson was sitting here, you know, Jack Attress over there, Robert White sitting here. I mean Talk you gotta play. Thing. Well you gotta play. You know, there's, there's no way around it. And if you're not cutting it, everybody's pointing at you. And I gotta tell <laughs> you really? the truth, when the note, when the bad notes get played, it wasn't me. Cause I was perfect, right? I had to be perfect. I'd be out, but they'd all point to me anyway. So I get <laughs> hit. I get hit with the drumstick anyway, because it's the youngest. Yeah. So did you play with the Funk Brothers, or were you no, we a generation ahead? I didn't play with the Funk Brothers on the original. Well, like, no, no, not, I don't mean up. that. I mean, but did you ever play
3: with those guys? Oh, every day. So the Twenty Grand was just the epicenter of musician.
7: Yeah. I was in the house band at the Twenty Grand. So Since it was like I was 14, Apollo, 15. Or? It was uh, Michael Henderson would play sometime. Bohannon was the band leader. Yeah. He's the guy that brought me Hamilton in. Hamilton Bohannon. Yeah, Hamilton Bohannon brought me in the band. Okay. Uh, Michael Henderson would play when he's not on tour with Miles or Stevie or somebody. Uh, but Jameson was there just about every night. Uh, Eddie Willis would play sometime. Wawa wow was there all the time, right?
3: Okay. Wawa wow, Watson was from Detroit as well? Yeah. You know
7: the guitar Wawa's played? Yeah, wow. yeah, The thick L5. Yes. That he puts the foam in yeah. and get the Wawa wow pedal? Yeah. That's my guitar. That ain't Wawa's guitar. He still owed me three hundred dollars. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I was going to ask
7: who patented that. When I was playing jazz, mm-hmm. I put the foam in there because Melvin Sparks and George Benson had done it, and I bought a L five, you know, to play some jazz. I was yeah. playing jazz. Wawa was living with this white chick, and and she stole all everything he had, so he had nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he came home, the carpet was gone. She took all the money. He would have killed her, but he didn't have enough money to go get find her to kill her. So she took it. <laughs> <hate. laughs> and Wawa had a thin body guitar that he was playing all the time. And so I said, look, I ain't going to play jazz much no more. You can buy my L5. And he didn't have much of choice. He gave me 100 200 bucks, and said he'd pay me the rest, which I never, ever He had. never did. But that's how he got that guitar. And then once he started playing with it, the wild wah pedal and the box guitar feeding back gave him his new sound. He was like, oh, I like this. So he's been playing it ever since. Now, we got a deal because he smokes a lot of cigarettes. And so I said, if you croak early, I'm on my guitar back. <laughs> <laughs> even now. <laughs> that's part probably, that's probably, that's of the deal. That's part of the deal even now.
3: So I guess uh, some previous episodes before um, we learned the idea of the house band, which was yeah. various acts would come to town. Yeah, learn the yeah. records. Whoever you know was. Co- How much warning did you have? Like, give us an example of you being in the house band and someone coming to town. Is this okay?
7: We're in the house band. And let's say Gladys Knight and the Pips come to town. Okay, Chuck Jackson mm-hmm. was a big guy to come. <clears> the <throat> Spinners would come. There ain't no warning. Okay. You show up, yeah. and then this week they say the Spanish show, they put the charts up there, and it's time to you know you rehearse a little bit with the charts. So it's these chord chords. charts
3: or are actual like,
7: they're chord charts with some notes. Wow! So the guitar is going ding 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 or dun 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 dun. That'll be written. Right. Then you go back to chords.
4: Was that the same? You mentioned Chuck Jackson. Was that the same Chuck Jackson uh, that worked with Natalie Cole? Was that? No, no, no. There was, there was a guy a yeah. singer, Chuck Jackson, had a ah. big
7: horn section and everything. I know Chuck Jackson, Mark, Marvin Yancey, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did some of Natalie's records. Uh,
3: yeah, you're on yeah. Sophisticated Lady, right?
7: Uh, I believe. I know I'm on Our Love. I remember that. Okay. Because she was pregnant at the time. That
3: right. Was going, yeah. Okay. So, okay, so you're saying that without warning, someone puts paper in front of you and blame it. You got to go. Yeah, you
7: got to go. Okay. And that, my, I got my first gig at Motown, uh, even before Hamilton Bohanna, even before the 20 Grand is with the spinners. Okay. And Billy Henderson had a chart called Fascinating Rhythm. He says, I don't care how old you are, if you can read that chart, you got the gig. So I pulled out my guitar, I read that chart, and now I got the gig. And so he came to my mom, and they take us out on weekends, you know, and we go play with the spinners. They were nobody at the time. They had, uh, Felipe Wynn hadn't even gotten the band yet. You know. So this is Detroit spinners. Detroit, Detroit spinners, yeah. But at the 20 grand, which is interesting, Felipe Wynn got in the band at the 20 grand. They didn't have no hits, and they weren't signed at Philadelphia yet. But I do remember Felipe Win turning out the audience two shows a night with no hits. He just started doing that half, half, yeah, half. Yeah, I heard his he, <laughs> he was just the most energetic guy you ever seen, and when nobody knew what he was singing, right? <laughs> but it was like exciting anyway. He I have heard his exciting. level of of performing was unbelievable.
3: Yeah, so Felipe Win was off the chain. And I heard
4: he was like the greatest like ad libber. He would just come up with stuff off the cuff. Like they said, was they said was,
7: Tom oh. Bell would shorten all the songs to leave a long fade because they just would let him have a fade. Wow. So if you look at the spinner songs, they you know two minutes, mm-hmm. it starts to just go to the fade. <laughs> well,
3: also, he also notes, there, there's a formula in spinner songs because when you're the same with Sly and the Family Stone, like I used to think that Felipe sang everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I'd noticed that uh one of the other singers would He's sing the main lyrics. And then when it was time for the end, it was right, a straight, all leaping. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. He rarely would get a song by himself, like Rubber Band Man right, or maybe you. One of a Kind, but it was kind of like a formula. At the 20 grand, so could you describe what, what a typical night there was like? Like, First of all, was it a nightclub? Is it a, it was a, a night theater? Club. Or, like, we need the another nightclub
7: like that. It was an all-black nightclub in the center of the ghetto. Uh, capacity, no, no, probably four or 500 people, but it would be packed. I mean, this place would be packed. Seats everywhere. Gladys Knight would have a line going outside in the wintertime all the way around the block. Wow.
3: So if it's in the center of the hood, was there any concern where once you became of a certain stature, say if you're like Dinah Ross, right?
7: are you still going to the 20 grand to, yeah. to see? Norman Whitfield's there every night. I mean, he used to pick on me as a kid saying, what's he doing here? And I used to say, shh. You know, enough the drink. Shut up. You know, so he would like <laughs> call me out routinely. You know, oh, you coming
3: underage? Like, yeah,
7: yeah. I was way underage. I mean, we, me and Norman Whitfield, we couldn't be friends for like another four years because he was calling. He was just calling me out. Just you know, it took a while. I used Why to was check. Did you out? shut? I don't know. He was just picking on me, and then he talked to me like third party too. He'd be like, "Why is he here?" He's obviously too young. He was just picking you know. I was like, really? This initiation. To... Like initiation. Uh, yeah, like I guess, you know.
3: Well, he didn't know through you, he might have someone that was sort of one level with, with Dennis or?
7: No, he didn't feel none of that. He wasn't feeling. It was so it was all kid. about Dennis and no
3: one else? That was a little kid
7: punked out on the stage. I mean, it just wasn't. That was It wasn't headed that way. But the typical day is, you know, we go in, rehearse the songs. Or like, say, a showtime. We do the first show. Almost like clockwork. Every night in the middle between the two shows. Me and Jameson would hang out. Jameson had a black fleet with Broham. We'd go to his car, you know, and I was a really nice kid. Jameson would uh, go in his glove box. And that was winter time, so we got the rendos rolled up. We got a little bit of heat on. It's mm-hmm. cold. And, and then he have a bag of weed. Then he, the bag of weed was sitting on his gun. you know, Or well, the gun. No, I'm sorry. The gun was sitting on the bag of weed. James Jameson. <laughs> First of all, everybody, just by everybody in Detroit, had everybody a gun. You got to get used to that. You don't go nowhere without your gun in the glove box, you know. But he had a weed on the gun, so he would... Get the weed, put it in the pipe, and we start smoking weed. So, I told my mother on James Jameson. You know. What? <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know, because it was making me feel weird. You know, it's, it's you know, contact. contact. It just wasn't happening, you know. So, you know, I had to talk with my parents, and they told me what to say because they didn't want me to get all get him in trouble. So, I went back and I said, you know, Mister Jameson, Mister Jameson. How old was he at the time? I don't know. He, he probably is in his late thirties. I'm guessing. you know. Okay. <laughs> And I think I was fourteen, fifteen. I said, you know, I can't sit in the car with you no more because you know, you smoking these things, and I can't. You know, <laughs> I feel <think>. weird.
3: <laughs>
6: <laughs>
7: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he promised me he'd never do it again. You know, he said, you know, this is a week later. He said he missed our hangout in the car. You know, because nobody oh. else was hanging out, with because he liked to drink a little bit, people were gone. So he told me he'd never do it again. So I said, okay, cool. And, you know, then we got back together. and We go back to his car and listen to some music. And, Kick it, you know. I didn't know he's gonna be famous or anything. I just, you know, just the bass player.
3: Well, I was gonna say, was he Because I've never heard any James Jamerson stories whatsoever. For the, for those that don't know, James Jamerson is like the standard for which I personally judge every bass player I ever play with. For those of you that are fans of, of uh, D'Angelo's Voodoo and you praise Pino Palladino, Pino Palladino's basically. The second coming to James Jamerson. Like, his his finger game is bar none. I mean, he's emulating James yeah. Jamerson. Yeah. The Even Standing it,
4: in the Shadows of Bulltown, uh documentary is a yeah. good one. They mm-hmm. break all... They, yeah, they, they always got all Jack Ashford, yeah. J- Jamerson, everybody. And they yeah. talk
3: about the 20 grand as well.
4: Yeah, yeah. Like,
7: So w-
3: was it a generation separation? That's what I want to know. Like,
7: It was sort of a generation separation, you know. Um, but... They were they were good guys, the, the Funk Brothers. You know, uh, my mouth was probably a little too big. I, I remember the first song I learned to play was "I'm Losing You," and I had I had it down. I mean, I had my red three thirty-five back pick up, and the bottom note I had the whole thing put together. And so I was showing Robert White. You know, we were sitting in the studio, and I'm showing Robert White, sort of not just playing for him, but sort of like, look at me, watch this. You know, I'm the man. And Robert White looked at me and uh, he says, he says, he says, that's really nice, young man. I played on the original record, you know. <laughs> 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 you can't outdo you know, the master. You know, man. I mean, you know, I'm like, Really you playing on that? I says, Well he's, then he then he and I found he played mock tone. Don Don Don.' don't that's him on my girl. I mean, I was like, I got quiet, you know. I got shut up. <laughs> but those guys were teaching us. So, you know, Robert White taught me a lot of rhythm stuff and and tricks and how to phrase it and how to use the the thing. So they, they were real helpful. They were real good guys, all of them. So am
3: I to assume that there's what I think are three classes? Because obviously when Norman Whitfield really started uh kind of taking over where, where Holland Dozier Holland left mm-hmm. off, if Holland Dozier Holland really utilized the Funk Brothers to their full ability, I feel like Norman Whitfield took Dennis Coffey's band.
7: And Wait, the, was Dennis it Dennis Coffey's band? Or but was no, it? but he just took Dennis Coffey and Wawa, basically. But the – even the rhythm section was, was different well, than he, he that of the Funk still some of right? the same guys sometimes, yeah. Jameson okay. was on some of his stuff. Before they could not get along, they had some fights, you know. Right. But, so,
3: I mean, by the time that they had made in, uh, their exodus to Hollywood,
7: what were you facing then? That I mean? was a godsend that, that Holland Dojo Holland left Motown. Really? Because Yeah, because Jack Ashford, Dennis Confi, Robert White, they had Motown sewed up. I, I did some Marvin Gaye albums. When Marvin wanted to be different, I did one thing with Smokey and the Snake Pit. But most of the sessions were done by the Funk Brothers. So when Holland Dojo Holland left, the Funk Brothers weren't supposed to be there. So that left me and my boys, me and Sylvester <laughs> That you us. Step up. Oh, yeah, yeah. That left us. People wanted won <laughs> it. Young men, single and free. So we're hitting you? all of that. <laughs> ki- oh, of course it is, yeah. Ooh. All that kind of stuff. Chairman of the board, Laura Lee, free to paint. I mean, that's us doing all that. those records. So that led us in on the thing, you know.
3: Job so you were the house band for... The
7: yeah, I'm on, I'm on most in,
3: of it. The... Yeah. That, that's all? Oh, that's me, yeah. So it's,
7: We're having a good time. Marvin get cut a record. I remember the first release was Year Demand, Man, mm-hmm. which I'm playing two or three guitars on. That's me at 15, 16. What? And um, I'll never forget, I made like 20 grand in a month. My father worked at Ford. He only made 16 grand all year. So this posed a real interesting problem. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> First time in he was like, more money
3: than, <laughs> than your pops. Right. Right. My he dad, made you pay rent right didn't
7: he? My dad, no, he, I had already told my dad I don't need no money. I told him that at 13 years old, I, hmm. I got the money. Then I'm good. You don't have to pay nothing for me no more. But what was interesting is now I'm starting to make so much money, my dad thought for sure I was selling drugs. He mm. he was 100% sure. So he hired my older cousin <laughs> to I. follow me around. Now, this may have been prompted by... If you ever saw the movie Superfly, mm-hmm. the blue Cadillac with all the stuff on it, yeah. mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye had one just like it, but it was burgundy with a burgundy top. It was cold-blooded, bug eyes. I mean, you know, this thing was that. So Marvin's at the studio one day, and he's smoking a joint. And I'd already kind of said, you know, I think Bohannon or somebody told him, you know, Ray would to join him. Mean, uh, So Marvin felt bad, but he wasn't going to stop smoking his joint. He just felt bad about it. So I'll never forget what he did, man. I don't know if I had a driver's license or not at the time. But he looked over at me. He says, man, Ray, why don't you take the car for a spin? Go out for a couple hours and have a good time. And I'm like, really? Man, let me tell you, he let me drive the pimp mobile in Detroit? (laughs) Man, I was leaning so hard. I think me and the mirror were like man, man. <laughs> centered up, centered up. You know, I'm driving through the neighborhood, so I know. Cause, so I'm just trying to protect my dad. Now you know he saw that too. Something at least heard about it. Yeah, right. He said, "Man, we saw your son driving a fifty thousand dollar cattle. Now you said he made how much money last month? My- you need to check your own home before you <laughs> start talking about us. So I'm pulling up to the high school. I'm leaning hard, right? I can't get no girls in the car because I can't stop because I'm scared to stop. I'm just leaning. And if the police come, I don't care. I'll take a shot at it. Well, but I drove around for a couple of hours, went back to the studio. Best time of my life, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so he, your father just had no clue that you were a working musician. Pretty much a, yeah. a, a genius at <laughs> your craft at no. this point? He thought that, first of all, if you weren't playing the saxophone, why are you playing any music? He says nobody wants to hear anything but the saxophone. And my father was much older than me, by the way. I should say that. He had me at 46, 47. Oh. So in his mind, all he knew is the jazz musicians of the old days. They live out the suitcase, they make $5, and they're broke. Right. And so that's all he knew. He didn't understand what recording was or any of this stuff. Okay,
3: so what would a session musician in Detroit make on a typical session? First of all, are you your own agent?
7: Yes. Okay. We so- have no agents. They just call you on the phone. McKinley Jackson for Invictus would call up and say, hey, we're cutting at such and such a time. Can you make it 10 o'clock? $90 for a three-hour session.
3: How long do you have to learn the song?
7: You don't have long. They spend half an hour on the drum sound. You go in there. Wasn't no amplifiers. Everybody had a little oratone speaker next to them. And in the, the main room at Motown, everybody plugged in the same speaker. Clavinet, bass, guitar, everybody plugged in the same thing. Then they had a drum booth for the drums. So they pr- you run the song you run it down. a few times. But you gotta get three songs in three hours. Or oh, don't nobody want to see you no more. You gotta get three songs. No in three room for hours. mistakes whatsoever. No. So you got a half an hour setting up the thing, you gotta change the stream, whatever y'all gotta tune up, whatever that's it. Now let's play. And they come in and change the parts and they run it down and you had to get it. But what was exciting is you could hear your song on the radio within ten days. Yeah. They get it out really quick back then, you know. And it was a singles world back then. It wasn't a lot of albums. So everything we cut was supposed to be a hit single. All right, so during this period, what is your proudest moment of,
3: like, ah, that's my guitar. Like, what's what's your...
7: Man, I, when I heard uh, everything good is bad and everything bad is good come back, it had four of my guitars on it. <laughs> and I was up loud.
3: How many, wait, how many tracks were... 16 tracks. Okay, so what year is this
7: now? This is 1970, I guess. sixty nine seventy. yeah.
3: Okay, so the studio it used, is this... Go United Sound, or is it...
7: No, no, this was... Holland Dojo Holland had their own studio, and it was in a burned-down movie theater on Grand River and Joy Road, which was having to be two blocks over from the Grandy Ballroom, which was interesting because I always wondered why they had a burned-down movie studio and why they put all this sand under the control room floor. And when I first built my studio in Hollywood, American Studios, I didn't want a burned-down movie theater, but I did put sand under the floor, <laughs> which made it work, Right. And and now that I'm older, I traced it back to Memphis. The old Royal Studio was in a burned down movie theater, and they got sand out of the control room. And so it all really started in Memphis. Really, they were trying to imitate, you know, stacks. stacks. Yeah, exactly. Stacks. Okay. And Willie Willie Mitchell then. During the Holland Doja Holland period and the Marvin Gaye period, and I was just graduating out of high school. You know, I got out of high school at seventeen, so I'm now doing a year of college. Let's say, or the first in the middle of the first year, which I hated. I Man, I was drafting car parts for Ford Motor Company. Or, I mean, if you can imagine me with a suit and tie on, you know, drawing car doors or trying to make it fit. You know, that didn't work out for me. And Stevie Wonder called me on the telephone, and I'd never met Stevie Wonder. But "Music from My Mind" was my favorite album, you know, of all time, which they recorded in this building, by the way. They did. What
3: effect? What what effect did music on my mind have on you? Like I never heard those
7: sounds just before. just
3: to hear. Like I never heard mm-hmm. someone that was in that
7: era describe it. I mean, I yeah. know what it is in hindsight exactly. as an adult. But by the way, that's my favorite album that he's ever recorded. Really, and it's him playing all the instruments. But it's it's all these experimental sounds, and it's a. A breakaway from the traditional Motown sound. It's just him experimenting, a hundred percent free and experiment, and just trying something totally new. And so I had pretty much, you know, when I first heard it, I am not sure I liked it that much because it was so new. Then, as I then a month later, I had thrown away every other record I had and just had the eight track of that in my car <laughs> playing along. <laughs>
1: which one? Which one grabbed you the most on the album? Like the first? The- you
7: know what? I can't. Mary Wants to be a super I can't I can't even say. I just would play the whole A track and just let it play. And I used to drive from Detroit to Cincinnati and back in eight hours just so I could just nobody could talk to me. I could just turn up loud and just drive and just listen to it. It was that, you know. So what happened to me is right around my birthday in seventy two, uh, right before my eighteenth birthday, I got a phone call from Stevie Wonder and, and this is a true story I've told before. And I hung up on him, you know, because I figured <laughs> that's a common theme for every yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. No one not believing, no who one it believes is. the call. Well, right. I mean, I'm playing the song, the album in my car every day. I ain't got nothing but that, so it's got to be one of my boys messing around with me. Got to be, you know. And he called two or three times. I hung up two or three times. Four times he called back. I said some not so nice things, and then still hung up. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> good thing he had a sense of humor, so he called back a fifth time. He says, "Look," he says, "We ain't we ain't communicating." This Steve Wonder, he says, "Listen to this," and he played me the rhythm track. He had just started with superstition, and I almost hung up again because the rhythm track, superstition, starts off with marching drums. Then I was like, "Oh, that's bulls," you know. Then before I could hang up, I heard. I heard that, and I went, "Oh my gosh!" I'm hanging up the phone, Steve. And there was still this issue. Of the college with the door parts and learning that thing, you know, and there's major problem there because my dad wanted me to finish college and get a real job and have
3: a pension plan. And Wait, yeah. this still wasn't a real job. <laughs> like,
7: twenty thousand no, I mean, dollars? No, still not real. No, twenty in one month. 20, right. Right. Now remember, I'm doing the twenty grand, making three fifty a week at the twenty grand in cash, no taxes. Okay. We didn't pay taxes in Detroit. Three fifty a week. <laughs> <laughs> like, three fifty a week. It's yeah. right here, ladies. No. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, shoot, ten years ago the mayor didn't pay taxes. Don't go back, I mean, don't go back I mean, too far. You know, the hip hop mayor. So we make three fifty. <laughs> so three fifty a week, at twenty grand, uh, ninety dollars every three hour session at Holland Dozier Holland, okay. and then that one month with Marvin Gaye and Jewish bar mitzvahs and weddings on the weekends, pay like $35, 40 bucks, and we could do three, four, five of those, easy. So we're making money in Detroit. So now, you could have like bought
1: your dad a house off of some of this money. Like,
7: this Pretty is... much, yeah. But instead, I bought myself a really nice concrete cash. That's crazy. <laughs> in the first house I bought, I bought my dad a house. I did okay. do that. Okay. So, just so you know, when I made some real money, I bought my dad a house. Mom took care of everybody, paid all the bills. They never paid a penny more for the rest of their life.
1: He still didn't. He didn't say you should still finish college. No, by, by the time,
7: time I was, was 22. Like, he was done talking. Okay. Parents gave all that, <laughs> okay. stuff. Gave well, that parents up. Parents, yeah, do all that. That up. Yeah. Yeah. parents
3: do that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just side note. Deep deep into Philadelphia Half Life, my dad was still getting the. You gotta get a real job. Like, <laughs> exactly. <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> it's my third record. He's still <laughs> like. You gotta get a real job.
7: You're something I love you. gotta come on. Straighten up. <laughs> yeah.
3: What you gonna do? Yeah, I got that.
4: I didn't get it. It didn't get real to my mom until she saw me on the cover of Double XL.
7: Yeah.
4: What? <laughs> it like when she like when she saw us on Double XL yeah. and then like the source, like See Me in Magazines, that was when I was so about your yeah. second album? It was like It was like, okay, it's it's real.
9: Their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Varian and Ingrid Segee, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young black artists. Follow Blame It
8: on the Fame wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free by joining Wondery
3: Plus. So with Stevie, did you, you finally, when did you move
7: to uh, Los Angeles? I moved to Los Angeles as soon as I quit Stevie's band. And I stayed in the band a good eight months, I guess, something like that. You know, I always wanted to go to L.A. I just, I felt like, you know, even in Detroit, as good as it was, I always felt like the stork made a mistake and like dropped me in the wrong neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> it just felt like that for some reason, you know. Like I saw the Beverly Hills Billies on TV, and I was like, wow, that's I like that restaurant row, you know, swimming pools, movie stars, and the sunlight. And, you know, I remember seeing Leave It to Beaver. Nobody ever stole Beaver's bike, and he rode it to school, you know. And they were, you know <laughs> I was getting knifed up in, in my D- jacket. Yeah, I'm getting it. knifed up for my jacket, and everybody got guns, and we, we going to pick each other up in the alley and go to school in the group and all that kind of stuff. Beaver didn't have to do none of that stuff, you know. So I just, I didn't know the difference. I just would ask my parents, where's that at? And they'd all say California, meaning everything was, your movies were done in California. I just thought, well, they don't rob you in California, so I mean, it should be cool. If they I rob you in there. a different way. Yeah, they sure do. Yeah. And I learned that when I got there, too. <laughs> <laughs> they steal your money, and it takes you a year or two to figure out that you lost is- it. <laughs> <laughs>
3: like, what happened? Yeah. <clears throat> so when you're touring with Stevie, I mean, you're with the heavy, I, I mean, again, Love. I know in hindsight, I don't think you saw it as, oh man, these are the heavyweights. But I mean, it's like, you know, Williams was that was Denise it? Williams and wait, you know was what, Raymond it, Pounds with you or was you know, it? No, Ollie he wasn't first? there yet.
7: He wasn't. No, it was somebody before Ollie. I got Ollie in the band after uh, Stevie and the drummer. I think his name was Chris. They had a fight, and the drummer said, blind wait, for me, I'm gonna kick how, Stevie." Fight <laughs> <with> Stevie Wonder. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> how about this? Stevie Wonder's is used to being blind. The drummer mm-hmm. thought he could put a thing around his eye and make it even. Right. And so he went for blows. And Stevie, every time he wait a minute, they he fist fought. They got into a fist. Oh, so they said let's even it
1: up. They said let's
7: even even it up. up. (laughs) Questlove exclusive. Exclusive.
6: Exclusive. I didn't think
7: that was evening it up, (laughs) but they evened it up. And of course, you know Stevie, every time the guy even turned his head, bam. Stevie was wow. b- confident, with nobody
1: he, calling plays. Stevie, like two left, no, three no, I, no,
7: it was it was Stevie bad. was like Bane. Yeah, was like, and so we all <laughs> had adapted we, it to the darkness. <laughs> hey, I was born in it, molded hey, <laughs> by it. Hey, wait a minute, it didn't take long before we had to stop the fight, and then this guy still got fired. Damn. So he got, lost his gig. Got fired in, got your and got you. That's how that's all been. he got in the band. But we did have Randy Brecker, yeah, Davis Sanborn, Denise Williams. You know, so it was it was a, yeah, it was a, a lot of people in this band. Yeah. Heavyweight anyway, Scotty Edwards, you know. It was, it was a great band. So yeah. were you part of the infamous uh Rolling Stones tour? Absolutely. It's the first tour I've been on, the big tour. Yeah, Kyle, but why not just start What was at the, the reception top? like? The reception? Yes. <laughs> no, no.
3: I mean, how do, well this is the thing. So
7: we we interviewed
3: The, the Revolution.
4: Revolution.
3: Yep uh some episodes back, and of course, and I've heard Mick's side of the story as well. And he was like, Well, you know, he's on stage in his underwear, so of course they're gonna throw stuff at him. The revolution was basically saying that, you know, uh, Rolling Stone's audi- audience wasn't receiving them well and they got booed and pelted with Jack Daniel
7: bottles. Well, I was and- there when when Prince got hit with the Jack Daniels. Man. No. Man. I was Co-coo-coo. at that concert. No, he got hit, he got hit in the head <laughs> with the bottle. Wow. Wait, You no, were there? What you I was at that head, concert. in the head, though. I didn't. Nah, he got was hit in the <laughs> head. No. Somewhere in LA, he got hit in the head with a Jack Daniel, but I had to get off the stage. He got hit in the head. Ah. They said play some rock and roll. I mean it was like bad, you know. I mean he came out the gate smoking with a guitar solo still and Yeah. There's theories behind that. But well, the, what, what was days, it like
3: with you? Was there fear like no, oh we might nah. not
7: First of all, I was too young to know anything. I thought the Rolling Stones had already come on. I thought Stevie was headline. <laughs> so <just>, <laughs> Okay, so it took me a minute or two. By the time the tear gas got in the limousine, I figured out, okay, something else has happening here. Then it was like lights what? came and the whole thing, you know. So it was the whole thing. Now, you got to remember, this was, I had not really discovered girls yet, but I was about to discover lots of girls. And <laughs> she were, things were, just, a short things were changing. Of time. So this is the first really big tour, like go away from home and stay for more than a week that I'd ever been on, yeah. was the Rolling Stones tour in 1972. And they were wonderful guys. We all had a great time. Uh, no one... Booed Stevie Wonder off the stage and told him to get off. We didn't have that same experience that some of the other groups had, you know. Uh, Maybe because he got the respect, and then we'd always go play a few songs with the Stones. And you know, we got to go to Playboy Mansion, which I'd never been to before. At how old? You're like 16. 18, 18. 18. Yeah, I was going to say. There's a
3: documentary of it called The Uh, You ever see The Cocksuckers Blues? uh, The Rolling Stones documentary.
7: Yeah. Yeah, they show. I guess you guys playing satisfaction with. Yeah, yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing uptight. The little skinny kid with a red guitar. I mean, really skinny yeah. afro. That'd be me. <laughs> <laughs>
3: so, were you ever like on their airplane? And that's supposed to be the penultimate <laughs> standard of just rock hedonism. and roll yeah. excess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's
7: supposed to be the beginning. It of was it. pretty bad. Really? There, were a lot, there was a lot of going on. Uh, there was a lot of
1: things. Yeah, because if you don't like the smell of weed, like.
7: Well, that that was be, like, you know, I didn't do the I didn't partake in that type well, of cocaine. activity. Unless <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I you do it. You know? <laughs> but I do remember that, you know, <laughs> last I had checked, cocaine was white. But their cocaine was crystal clear. I'm and sorry, it what? Up, and it, it was clear. And it went up in a cone like that high. And people could just go by and just get all they want. You know? So th- this was only for eight months? The 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 Rolling Stones tours for about four months.
3: But I mean, your your tenure we with Stevie. On a
7: college tour with Stevie after that. Yeah.
3: So this is also, I mean, his morphing into something other than Little Stevie Wonder. Or oh just yeah, the big whole... time.
7: Yeah, yeah. He had changed, I and mean, he became uh I mean, he's an interesting guy, but he really was. We used to hang out all the time, like we race cars, you know, and, and uh, we crash. Steve cars. He he cars. and he Morris
3: drive. He like, drove here and
7: drove oh, if you didn't let him drive, you get fifty dollar fine.
3: Wait, what?
4: Yeah. <laughs> Steve, I, I have all to right, let tell the story. Drive. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> this, this—I feel Stevie like this episode drive, is going to yeah. fuel all the
4: Stevie ain't blind. <laughs> tri- you know what I'm saying? All like the conspiracy theorists that don't uh, believe
3: that Stevie's blind.
4: This episode something. is not going to help.
7: If you're sitting next to Stevie, you know he's blind, and he's driving the car. Now he insists on driving. <laughs> Does he insist on you being in the passenger seat though? Yes. Oh. And giving instructions. Yeah. And what's worse than that is he insisted on me driving. And then we'd have to race the car next to us. Oh my God! And he didn't care about hitting the cars. He said, "Well, hit him then."
1: I was about to say he's been and he's been in car accidents and he still drives.
7: Uh, Let me tell you something. He hadn't been in a car accident yet. This was was until seven. I still got some reservations about what happened then. Uh uh oh. Uh, I'm gonna leave that alone because I wasn't there then. That was a couple of years later. (laughs) I wasn't there.
6: (laughs) Exclusive, <laughs> but you know how you
7: hear something on the radio oh, listen, like right. all that Kardashian stuff. You be like, "Well, what really? Happened? What What's really happened?
3: 40? How does a limousine crash into a log thing?" And, and oh yeah. boy! Yeah. So I mean, you just you know, come on. Yeah. Switch it
1: on the Cosby Show. <laughs> Switch yeah. right. Yeah.
3: <laughs> you get in the back.
7: You get in the side. Now that we're in the '70s, was was Barry White next? Barry, now first I left. let's See, I left Stevie's band. Because he was teaching me how to write songs. I had Buddy Miles playing the guitar upside down on some of my songs, and me and Stevie cut a bunch of stuff with us singing. But somehow he wasn't going to release it. I figured, I, it took me a minute, but I figured out he really wasn't going to let me put it out. And so that sort of broke my heart because he didn't want me to lead a band, you know. So I, I wanted to lead a band and yeah, go
3: You're California. Ray Parker Jr., man. You're too valuable.
7: Well, at the time, I was the, his guitar player. You know? So <laughs> he wasn't feeling it, you know, I was supposed to be his boy. So he took it kind of personal that I left the band. But we were still really good friends because after that, I got Nathan in the band, mm-hmm. which is a story into itself. Let's Na- talk about Nathan. Nathan
3: is still in the band, correct? Right? Yeah.
7: What's interesting, Nathan's the band leader. He's been in 43 years. But The great Nathan Watts, by the way. Yes.
3: Master bass player.
7: I had got, uh, this is a year and a half after I left the band. Me and Stevie would still drive around L.A. and we'd party and hang out. And I got Reggie McBride in the band because me and Reggie used to play together at 12 years old. Wow the time this guy Tom Gary used to play at the 20 grand in the other room. And so Reggie left the band and went to Rare Earth. And then oh, Stevie man. said, well, I want somebody else from Detroit in the same neighborhood. He wants that type of human being, that type of vibe. The only person left was Nathan who played the trumpet, right? And I said, well, my, I got my buddy Nathan who plays the trumpet. He wants to play the bass. He says, I said, but he can't play the bass yet. He just started, you know. And Stevie said, well, have him come out there. He says he's a fast learner. I said, well, he's a fast learner, but he, didn't, he ain't got the bass yet. Right, so he had some kind of cheap harmony bass, and I remember Stevie heard him at an audition, and said, "Man, it sounds really weird," you know. So then Nathan took my bass and went and audition for Stevie on my bass, and, and the way the story goes, Nathan told me he 18 other bass players there, and everybody could outplay him ten to one, but he still got the gig. You know? What do you think it was? What so he learned how to because Stevie just wanted somebody from Detroit in the club down the street from me, the whole bit. And so he basically taught Nathan how to play bass. Nathan how to play the bass. It was his first gig. His really? first gig ever in life. Was and apparently his only <laughs> <all> the, <right. laughs>
3: first gig. I mean, you know. So how does he, because he can't see, um, is it a lot of?
5: Or can he? Yes, he no. can. No, okay. Or can he? He cannot
3: see. <clears throat> so how are you guys learning? First of all, how is he writing these songs? I've heard He uh, writes him in
7: his head and he could just play he remembers every part, every everything, and he could play all parts. Like I was in a studio with him a hundred percent the whole time when he did Living for the City. And really? he started with the Fender Rose, no click track. weren't no click tracks at those times. So he just played it like this. And it really got weird when it dun dun dun. dun you know, those chords going off beats, you know. I was like, Uh oh, homeboy, you know, might be smoking. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, you know, then he would layer it, and then would come together. He always guess his put the on, clock puts the drums on. puts the drums on last. Line. Always put the drums on last. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He always puts his drums on last. <laughs>
3: Usually the drums. The drums
2: are yeah, first. Yeah, that sounds kind of backwards, but that's interesting. Yeah. But that's,
7: See yeah. me, I put a couple of parts down, but I need to put the drums down, then lock, re-lock the bass and everything back to whatever it is. But he just puts it down, puts the drums on last.
3: I always wanted to know how does he notate ideas, especially when he can't. Well, I'm, I'm sure that he. Rights, but I mean mm-hmm. for you guys to know what
7: he's thinking he hears is, it but... in his head and he he'll, he'll give it to you but mostly on his records that's him playing most of the stuff a lot of the time then he'll overdub what he needs you know, oh but, so
3: you're only getting the finished product and yeah yeah
7: he plays the drums and stuff like when we did maybe a baby the track was pretty much done okay Man. and more trivia it's funny the second engineer we did that at Crystal Sound in LA mm-hmm. turns out years later the second engineer was Steve Perry from Journey. Wow! <laughs> he wow. Was second, yeah, wow. he was the second engineer on the day. That's crazy. Exclusive! Wow! So you know, okay. old Sherry fame. You know, there was Steve a lot Barry. of stuff going on at that time. You know, it's it an interesting time period in life. You know, I mean, I look back on it as a whole bunch of great, but at the time, man, it was just what was happening? That was it. You know.
3: Well, I wanted to ask about that. What when you did Barry White? Was it just studio sessions, or was it uh, also touring with him? Yeah, I did both. Okay. How did y'all get paid? Because money had like seventy people in the band. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
7: like every well, show about. Well, I don't know Orchestra. about the other guys, but I was getting triple scale playing with Barry White in the Ooh. studio. Man. But it was. I came a little late. Like I missed a because I was playing with Stevie one right. on tour, and um, I met Barry White the next year, the following year. Okay. Well, and he was a my first, well, my last, my everything. Even before that, but he was like a roughneck kind of guy. From I was going to say hood. He gangster you know, with yeah, it. gangster from the hood. You know, and I was a Detroit boy. I was you know that clean. You know. so I had my Afro, I had my Lincoln Continental, and Gene Page, famous arranger. Yes, mm, we he needs we Black need to Dilla. get him an yeah. award on. Uh, he needs a Postumus office Grammy and award. Yeah, he's unbelievable. All Lionel Richie, he even did the the Righteous Brothers song. Yeah, so he's a, he's a, he was a good friend of mine from Detroit. <clears throat> I mean, he lived out here, but I worked with him in Detroit, and he brought me to the session. You know, <clears throat> Barry White wasn't paying me no attention. I wasn't on the session, and Barry White liked to play his music back loud, Neve console speakers all the way up, mm-hmm. boom, boom, whack, whack, you know, stuffs whacking, orchestra jam, and that stuff's going. And I had an idea for a tune, and you know, I didn't, what did I have to lose? I was off coming from Detroit. What do I care? You know, so I pushed stop on the tape recorder, you know, and all the oh. music stopped. You know, and you it got did rid it yourself. I did it. Oh, Lord in <clears throat> Barry Session. And Barry White looked over, he says,
4: Shook Night moment.
7: He, he says, Oh, yeah, it was a Shook Night moment. Yeah, big time. Says, <laughs> First of all, he says, What the fuck was that? The, what the, what, Frank, what happened? And then he looked around, there's me in the corner. I said, Excuse me, Mr. White. And, he, and, he, and it, it was got real quiet in it. He said, He looked at somebody, he says, Who the fuck is that? Right? And then he looked at Gene Page, like, You brought him here. You know, I and I said, Excuse me, Mr. White, um, that's a really nice song, but it's missing this guitar part. And he looked at me, and I, before he could punch me or kick me out, he said, "Well, then get the fuck in there and play it, then." You know. So I went in. This right. <laughs> is Joe Jackson, Shroud Tito Jackson. <laughs> I whip your ass first, and then yeah. I'm gonna start an empire. <laughs> so tensions rise. Joe, the original Lucius lion. Yeah, hey. so t- yeah. Tensions rising,
4: Joe, tensions <laughs> yeah, yeah.
7: T- tensions rising right? Man. Tensions rise. So I go out there, and uh, you know, I'm starting to play the part, and I think like anybody else, you know sure hope he likes it because I like I know what I got to do. So I hit this line. The line was do 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 that kind of a thing, you know. And he loved it. And and so I said, okay, we'll roll the tape back. He says, fuck you, keep playing it now. And so <laughs> 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 The only thing that's missing on the record is fuck you, keep playing it now. But you hear me out for a bar and a half, two bars, right? And then he said, like, keep playing. So I just start back up playing it, and he just <laughs> left it like that because he didn't believe in fixing it. He just left it. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. On the record, it drops out for about and a half. Where he told me, "Fuck you." What keep album is this? Do you know? It's on this uh uh, rat, uh white gold album. Then me and Barry White. I'm not gonna say we were boys, but I thought we were boys. You know? <laughs> right. And you know, so his thing was, he got all these writers down. He said nobody gets a song with Barry White, no way, no how. Y'all write for these guys, write for these guys, write for all this stuff. And so my I, I was determined to get a song on Barry White. So I got Gene Page to write out the charts, and I had the music demo tape cutting all this stuff. So I put Barry where I had a little Mercedes convertible by this time. This is later in 74. And Barry came out the studio. I said, Barry, listen to this. And I pushed him in my car on by accident. I had the door open. You know, I pushed him in. But I didn't know he was going to cut himself. Uh-oh. So he cut, he cut oh, damn. on the window because he was too big to get in the Mercedes yeah. convertible. Because it was too big, you know. But he got in there. But he didn't want to acknowledge that he was too big to get in. So that worked in my favor. But anyway, I got to play him the track, you know. He said, yeah, Ray, that's nice. So what about it? I said, well, I, you let know, me cut the track. He said, he said, man, we doing? So we went back, cut the rest of his stuff, you know, da, da, da. And Barry White had a, a, a specific thing. He says, everybody's getting triple scale. I'm cutting eight songs today. I ain't paying y'all a penny more. You can cut it in one hour. You can cut it in 10 hours. I don't care what you do. But once we get these songs, session's over. So this is one of those days we were done already, right? We got like two or three hours left. Everybody want to go home. But they all my boys David T. Walker, you know Lee Rittenau, Jay Graydon, Dean Parks, all cast. Wait, he casually mentioned the yeah,
3: 12 disciples. Yeah, it, 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 it was <laughs> Judas and, uh, yeah, and right, yeah, Mark, Jude
6: Paul,
2: Shadrach, B
3: Shad, and Mary Magdalene
6: over the corner.
7: And to show you what kind of guy Gene Page was, and I owe him way too much, he had already the night before written all the charts out for me for the whole band, right? And so when we got done, I said, Barry, man, you remember the song I played? You're like, Let me cut the song, man. He says, Ray, we're done here, man. We're going home. I said, why don't you do this? Why don't you go home? And I cut the track, okay? <laughs> he looked at me like, you know, a little snotty-nosed kid. I mean, he's really pushing himself, you know? And so he went home, and I got Joe Sample and Wilton Felder, all the guys, you know, edge Wow. Who <laughs> would well, then become the Crusaders. To stay, <laughs> yeah, right, to stay back with me and cut the track so we cut the track in like 20 minutes and I drove it up to Barry's house and he listened to it he says that's on the album <laughs>
3: oh, so wow that's, that's
7: how I got a cut on the White Gold album which did really well
3: wait what's the title
7: of the song Always Thinking of You
3: alright let's go into Always Thinking of You written by Ray Parker Jr. for Barry White White Gold too Love busy, Unlimited too Orchestra it's What's Left Supreme no, no, hell, on one no. own hand
7: door There's a million reasons why why I always, always think of you.
3: Who, who engineered this? Who, Frank Keshmar? Frank Kuzmar. Who else uh, was on the sessions?
7: Well, on the Barry White sessions was Ed Green played the drums. All right. All the time. Mm-hmm. Wilton Felder, who was a saxophone player for the uh, Jazz Crusaders, played yeah. the bass. And for those who don't know, he also played on all the Jackson 5 hits, too, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So when you hear ABC, that's Wilton Felder, the sax player, playing the bass. Really? Uh, yeah. Okay. Joe Sample played the keyboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary Feldman played the vibes. Had the vibes. And on guitar would, would be myself. Wawa, David T. Walker, right? Dean Parks, sometimes either Jay Graden or Lee Rittenauer. Time Timeout. Dean Parks. Yeah, the great Dean Parks was my boy, Dean Parks. We played together many years on a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah.
3: What is Dean Parks doing in the Barry White
7: session? <laughs> he was on all the Barry White sessions. <laughs> no, I just that's just I <laughs> yeah. can't imagine Dean Parks yeah. just.
1: What well, do you know, Dean Parks, from being
7: when you the song you mentioned? Do, 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 do. Yeah, midnight. That's yeah. that's Gene Park. I'm playing on there too, but but that's I think that's me, Dean and Lee, and, but we're playing one note a piece. But they're all sunk together because Barry wouldn't let you play the whole part. So we are playing one note a piece. Do, 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 and we're sliding it up, and that's all three of them. So us that's no overdubbing. No, he doesn't like to overdub. So it's just normal to have four guitars playing Five. at
3: the same time. <laughs> Why four? Don't stop at four. Why? <laughs> he just didn't want
7: to overdub for monetary reasons. No, like- he just didn't like it. He mixed on the the um, Neve console where all the faders are here in the monitor section here. Yeah, and he just he believed that he should bring the mix up here, and if he didn't hear the echo on the drums, take the whole takeover. Ooh. So he wanted everything to sound like a record right here. He says, "Forget all that. Do it later. I want it's, if I can't get it here, I ain't got no record. Ah. So it's up to the band, the engineer, and everybody else to give him his record on those faders." Right there. And all he wanted to do was play with the volumes on his face. But if he couldn't get the snare or he couldn't get it, cut over. So even mixing, like, there's no, like, okay, let's take a day out to mix the stuff. Like... No, because he already mixed it. It's already over there. So he's hearing it the way he wants to hear it. What happened afterwards? By this time, I would have figured you guys had figured out my ego. Of course, I want more. <laughs> <laughs> I want a song that Barry White sings and me and him do together. I, I went through something very similar. Uh, at my apartment where I live, upstairs, Barry White's, one of his manager guys lived there. So I figured out from the manager when Barry was sh- gonna show up, right? And I was gonna pull the car up real fast and play him this new cut I had, right? <laughs> I was <gonna> talk him <laughs> into another, I know. Most people said you should quit while you, you're Yeah, head. I'm like, right. why are you pressing right. your yeah. luck ah. Barry White? i <laughs> so I'm not feeling. So here it comes. I see Barry White pulling up. I can't wait. Now I know where he's going, but I don't want him to get out of his car and go ring the buzzer and go upstairs. I wanna catch him while he's downstairs. So I see him come up the street because I've been waiting all this time. So as soon as I see him come to the street, I leave my power, go downstairs, get in the car, and I pull to the front. But when I pull to the front, out of the parking lot, it opens the gate. Barry White had parked his white Mark 7 and the front of the gate illegally, but it was too close. And I had already triggered it, when I saw it, it was too late. Oh, so shit. Oh, <laughs> it lifted oh. up, the gate was rising. He had parked and was getting out. The gate lifted up the front of his car. Uh, oh, the car was too heavy. The car went back on the gate. It ripped the gate off the thing, oh, and it fell on top of his Mark 7. Oh, oh, damn. oh. So I wrecked his Mark 7. Wow. Ooh. But I did get to play him the song. I was
2: <laughs> <that> song.
7: <laughs> was that how you repaid it for the damage? He says, Miller B. He said, thanks, Ray. I needed that. But it was his fault. He parked in wrong space. But anyway. <laughs> I did get him to listen to the song and he did cut the song. And so I was one of the first people to ever get a song with, with that I wrote with Barry White, maybe the only, and it's called You See the Trouble With Me, and we sold like seven or eight million records. And then a group called Black Legend redid it in two thousand two or something and it went number one around the world again. So it's on all his greatest hits records, and I think he was just very kind to me to do it. First of all, he did was kind enough not to beat me up after I trashed his <laughs> white Mark Seven, you know, so He's a good dude. <laughs> that's
3: crazy. So okay, so eventually you quit while you're hit. But we we skipped uh, Rufus and Shaka. How did you get tell me something good? Uh, no, that's Stevie's yeah. song. He
7: was now nah, let's go. Oh, now nah, nah, wait. You got the love. I'm let's sorry. get some more drama now. Because right, you guys, Uh-oh. I, Uh-oh. I know okay. you guys like drama. <laughs> okay, so I wrote the song for Barry White and Stevie. None of them will cut it. So next door to me is this girl Shaka Khan. And Andre Fisher, who I'm working with, and so me and Andre Fisher and David Foster are doing sessions for thirty-five bucks for flat top and cookie at I continue turn studio. <laughs> That's how this is starting out in '74. We're doing budget dates. You know, we're trying to make some money. The David Foster. Yeah, well, he wasn't the back lady. then. He was he like was sixteen just, or uh, no. Was he was kid? he was uh he's older than me. He's about twenty three, twenty four. Okay, but I don't okay. know if you know. He wrote that song. Don't cry, she's a lady. Sweet, He wrote Wild Child? Yeah, yeah he wild wrote Wild Child. That's how he got my respect. He David it. Foster wrote that? Well, I was child. like, man, we used to play that when I was a kid in the band. What are you talking about you wrote that? I knew yeah, about After Love Is Gone. No, 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 no. no. I, I,
3: I, I, David
7: what? Foster, yeah, he wrote Yeah, Don't Cry, She's a Lady. Everybody oh. used to play in their band, all the rest of the stuff. Yeah. That, yeah. And so it was one of those things where nobody would cut the song. So me and Andre, we go in the studio and we lay it down. I play the guitars and the rest of stuff. He says his band, Rufus, is going to cut I'm like, man. Nah unknown whatever band, cutting my song unknown band you know so we cut the song Shaka sings on it, and she sings really really i'm like who's that saying this is this is gonna be something i'm thinking oh man it's, it's gonna be hot and then she tells me the story she says you don't even remember me huh i said what are you talking about i remember you she says well you know when you back last year when you were playing with stevie wonder me and my sister i gave you the tape to listen to you gave me an address to your house to mail it to in san francisco she says, and you don't even live in San Francisco, oh. you, and you were trying to bang me, Ooh. and you wouldn't, you know. <laughs> so
1: by then, you discovered women.
7: And I was like, yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, guilty, guilty, guilty. Uh-huh. But, you know, but I said, you really sang it, but she was pregnant with the time. You know. To make a long story short, the record was going to be the first single called You Got the Love. I mean, we were jammed. And her be, sister being Taka, Taka Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here comes Shakira. she sang the heck out the song. I'm liking the song, but don't no, nobody knows who No Rufus is. They are an invisible band. Nobody ever heard of it. Now, I just quit Stevie's band, so you know Stevie's got to teach me a lesson, right? I mean, because he's upset. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm gonna ask you this question: How in the world does Stevie Wonder, who just won eight Grammys, finds if he's gonna cut a song? Why does he cut it on the most unknown singer on the planet? Because he found out that you were about to. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, she just a was, coincidence, she right? was I'm just, fine. I'm just telling you that out of all the records on the planet Earth, somehow he ended up with a single in front of mine.
1: Y'all must have had this conversation, it's though. My,
7: Did first... you cut You Got the Love First? Yes. Oh, and then word got to Stevie. I'm just saying, out of all the records in the world, he could have his choice of doing anybody Amen. on the planet. Hey, Somehow to he migrated all the way to to mine, which was wonderful because tell me something good. opened up the album, made a, and then my single came out and blew up. And you know right. the rest but did so, y'all yeah. ever
1: had a conversation you and
7: Stevie? Well, whenever we have those conversations, it's like the Queen of England. You know, did you see the movie? No. Okay, well I didn't see it either.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean. It, it was an amicable parting. I assume it wasn't so bitter to the fact that you know
7: we love each other, but yeah. we've had some interesting. You're not going to speak to each other for a long time. Sessions. <laughs> then he, he apologized. Then we hugged and kissed. And then you know, then I was nominated for an Oscar with him. He wouldn't speak to me again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> until until he won. Until I won, <laughs> He, kiss me. he we hugged me and now. kissed me, and we were good again. You know. Oh, okay. You know. What
4: we all nominated for? Uh, with the Oscar, he won woman oh, love. Oh. yeah. And he,
7: uh, the woman in red. Oh, that, woman yeah. in red. Yeah. Yeah, he, I just called to say I love, call I love you. So wow. I won the British Oscar and um the fifty seven Oscars opened up with me performing it, which they spent like a half a minute, but they didn't ask him to perform. And I sat <laughs> they sat me in back of him. I mean, I had my hands on him. Near Prince was over here, had my hands on Stevie here, and you know, I mean, he wasn't saying anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I had a funny suspicion that if I had won that Oscar, I think that would have been the end of the relationship. I just think that would just <laughs> he'd be. Never that you. Well, I think we'd be done. We would so be done. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I think we would so be done. By this point,
3: do you have like personal aspirations of your own to be the artist, or you're just like, no? Like, what do you want to be? Do you want to be the the consummate sideman? Do you just want to songwriting, publishing? Is that where it is, or do you want to be the the star?
7: Well, first, I wanted to be the the guitar player. Then I figured I might not make enough money doing that, and I really like nice things. So I thought, wow! I, and when I work with Stevie, I like the songwriting and all that kind of thing. I said, why wow, you write the songs? And the, that works. You know, so you write the songs. But it really wasn't until I took that Shaka Khan record home and the Barry White. White gold album Mm -hmm. to my mom and dad because they thought I was failing in California. I should move back home. You know, I lost my Lincoln Continental for this little small Mercedes that didn't have electric seats and stuff, you know. (laughs) They came out to my house, which I thought was cool, but my house was on top of a hill, swimming pool view of the city. And my dad looked at it and said he couldn't afford a house on the bottom with everybody else. They stuck him way up in the middle of nowhere. We had to go down this windy road. And his house wasn't even made out of bricks, he's got some stucco, you know. Uh-huh. Mud built house they put together, <laughs> so they were really they were depressed. <clears throat> they thought I wasn't doing so well. You know, then I brought the record home to my mom, and it was really my mom that gave me the rude awakening. You know, my mom said, uh, "You know, I said, Hey mom, I got this big hit on Shaka Khan. I mean, on Rufus. You know, <clears throat> she was what's a Rufus? I said that's the name of the band. I guess she thought it was my band. I don't know what she thought, but so I gave my mom the record, and she took the record and she looked at it." And looked at the front, she saw people and she says, I don't see you. Right. <clears throat> now you gotta understand, I'm going home with an ego. I like making up Hollywood. I'm Hollywood out that Barry song, Barry White song. Uh, you know, she says, I, I can I don't see you. Then she took the Barry White Record, she looked at him, I don't see you. I said, that's cause Ma I wrote the song. Now I'm still feeling high and mighty and justified. So she pulled out the record and I'll never forget ABC Dunhill at the time mm-hmm. had a black label and they write your name in silver. <clears throat> and so I said, see mom, it says right there, Ray Parker, you know, it's me. And she looked at it. Now my mother's in her late 60s at the time. And she was like, <laughs> <laughs> boy, go get my magnifying glass. Oh, yeah. She's just messing with you, man. No, she wasn't. Um, so she gets her magnifying glass, and she she holds it back. And she's doing like that. And it says, R. Parker. And I'll never forget these words. This is where I got it. So, you know, sometimes simplicity, like you said, simplicity of a song, simpli- simplicity is better. She said to me, she says, is that you, R. period? period, Parker? I said, yeah, that's me. My she said, the period took one space. Couldn't they just give you another space and get your A-Y? Get the A-Y on there. You know? And, uh, you know, so when I left home with a lot smaller head than when I got there, you know, I figured, I said, you know, I, I'm not coming back till I get a record. With, I gotta get my face on the record. That's just it. My mama does not understand what it is I'm doing. I couldn't even explain to my mom what I did. And... My mom couldn't even see me. My name was so small. I just didn't like the way it felt. By this point, you were also on the silver screen, correct? A little bit. In, in Uptown D- right, Saturday D- Night. I was yes. going to say, you, night, yeah. You know, yeah. He's in that was Saturday. too brief. Well, I mean, it was still like, you know. But your mama. Yeah, that's too brief. Mama, I blink. Yeah. <laughs> I be <laughs> did, you ex- did
1: you explain to your mama that the little name on the back of the album makes a lot time more money than the big face on the cover? Yeah, of the... than the names above. She didn't eat, she was, Okay. She was.
7: You know what? It, I could have explained it, but money wasn't the issue here. Right. The issue is my mama sitting there like she didn't even know what I was doing. She's sitting there like, you know, I'm coming home tomorrow. I got it. I won. I won. She's like, what? <laughs> you know, it's like, what? I don't see nothing. You know, so that, that struck a chord in me. I said, I'm going to cut. I got to cut something that my mama can see me on the cover. And that's just the way it's got to be, you know. This is Questlove Supreme
3: on Pandora. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're almost through hour two of our conversation with our guest, Ray Parker, Jr., we learn about his work with Stevie Wonder, Barry White, Shaka Khan, and we're digging deeper into his attempts after years of working in the music business to prove to his parents that he was a success. I guess my question is, who did you fish for to get a record deal?
7: I, I, I fished nobody.
3: Okay, well th- okay, this is what I want to know.
7: I want you to describe Clive Davis. Now, we got to lead into Clyde Days. Okay, okay. You got to let me lead into Clyde Days, and I'm going to try and make it as brief as possible. Oh, make it as long as possible. Okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) After the You Got the Love, Barry White, all that kind of segment, I got a singles deal with A&M Records to do this girl, Anita Sherman, of which she sang one song, and the secretary at the studio said a few words to me. She burst out in tears. I had four hours of studio time left, and I had to sing the song myself because she was crying. Mm. <laughs> oh, <God. clears throat> she blew my entire record deal. And mm. when I went to the A&M lot, out the corner of my eye looked like in the next building over, there was Quincy Jones standing there. And I was like, Quincy Jones, oh, my gosh. It's Quincy Jones standing over there. I mean, Quincy Jones. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do with myself because we played Killer Joe in the band when I was a kid with Bohannon and all the stuff. <clears throat> so I got I to gotta go meet Quincy I got to go say something to Quincy Jones. So I just got this record deal with A&M. My egos, I had plenty of ego at the time, maybe a bit much. So I went over to Quincy Jones and I said, hi, you don't know me, but I'm the guy that's going to teach you how to produce hit records. Oh, no. oh, Wait, what? No.
6: Hey, wait. no. Exclusive. Exclusive.
7: I'm the guy that's going to teach you how to produce hit records. Well, to make a long story short, a couple of months later, the Brothers Johnson came out and he was number one on the pop charts and the R&B charts <laughs> and they had sent me to Bernie Grumman's, which happened to be in the back of the A&M lot to get the box of records, the only ones in existence besides the radio, the Swamp Radio in Florida that played my record. Mm-hmm. And as I was being escorted off the lot. <laughs> yeah, the one thing that that was good for when I said that is Quincy Jones saw me like this with my records going off the lot. Now, by the way, by the time I got to Bernie Grumman's, thing and they had already told me i was fired okay <clears throat> so i'm doing a really good job of this i'm trying to get to bernie grumman's get the records and get to my car and i my adam's apple is all choked up i mean i'm about to cry i mean yeah i'm holding <laughs> oh, all this geez, in <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to, but my Adam's apple is, is hurting right here it's choked up so much. <laughs> you know I mean, a little kid but, so i mean you know so i'm just trying all i want to do is get my records and make it and I was almost to the gate where they let you in and out. And I was getting ready because my car's parked out, so I can't get on the lot no more. So I was about to leave, and then somebody said, Hey, young man, I'm waiting on my production lessons. Oh. <laughs> 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 hey, all I can say is I look like Linus with the towel and the tears <laughs> And he felt so bad, he immediately stopped whoever he may have been talking to her about before I know, but he left those guys immediately came over to me, put his arms around me, and says, now, now, son. It, I didn't mean that. <laughs> he said, it ain't that bad. <laughs> yeah, he said, it ain't that bad. And he says, he says I don't know who you are. He, he was just joking with me because he had a hit, and he's seen me getting kicked out of the but he didn't know how to take it that bad. He says, I don't know who you are, but um, you, you know, you're obviously doing something right or else you wouldn't be on this lot. And that's what he said. And he says, what you need to do now is just pick yourself back up. And get back in the game and do it fast. He says, "Don't take all day." He says, "Get back in it and do it quickly." You know. And then I left that lot, went to HB Barnum and Wawa at the studio where they gave me another ragging on and made me cry again. You know, so <laughs> it's a bad day for
3: Ray. So at the time, was, was, was Herb Albert and Jerry Moss were they in name only executives? Or no, no, were no they, they really were like
7: it. in those days they were running it.
3: So what do you think it was? Like they just didn't see?
7: I didn't have a hit. Yeah, I was, get off the lot. You don't have a hit. Get out of here. You're fired. <laughs> hey, and the guy at a and told me, he said, Mr. Parker, and I only sang because the girl started crying. She messed up my record deal. <clears throat> okay. I'm like everybody else. I'm blaming on somebody else. <laughs> you know, said, it wasn't me. But uh, she didn't sing the song. She started crying when the other girl was hitting on me. You know, And I was like, oh, no, don't. she didn't even sing anything. Come on. you know. In those days, you only had X amount of hours for studio time. They let you in the studio for six hours. Six hours, you're done. So I had to sing the song. The guy looked at me. Kip Coe was his name. I'll never forget his name. He says, "Mr. Parker, you do a lot of things right. Guitar, we, we like what you write." I said, "He said, but you got to let this singing thing go. This you ain't gonna be no star. This ain't you." He says, "That ain't gonna happen." You know. Hmm. He says, "That ain't gonna happen." And famous last words. Famous last words. <laughs> so now we're gonna get. We're leading into Clive and all that stuff. So hold on. Here we go.
3: Does Leo happen or?
7: No, that's between it. That's okay. what leads me to Clive. So, okay. so then I'm working with Richard Perry all the time doing. Um, bunch of sessions. He's paying me triple scale. He's got a studio at the Paramount Lot <clears throat> with Paramount Universal Lot. And so he had my name on the concrete, says Ray Parker Jr. So whenever I pull up, I pull on Paramount Lot Park right there in the Ray Parker Jr. space. We were boys, man. We're cutting. Barbara Streisand, Carly Simon, Leo Simon, I mean everybody. Whatever he did, I was I was his guy. <clears throat> he had Dave the Juice Man come every day. They bring him cocaine and weed, and they bring me watermelon juice. You know what I
3: mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I uh, was like, eventually it's juice, that. right? Like, <laughs> oh yeah.
7: Watermelon juice for regular. And so, in those days, we didn't have like tape recorders and stuff like you have now with your iPhone. So, I had a song that I'd written at home with the little click drum machine, and I'm beating on the thing on my Maestro Rhythm Ace. And I just wanted to see what it sounded like. So I told Ed Green, you play this, John Barnes, you play this. And so we all played our parts. And then Richard comes in at lunch break and says, man, that's jamming, what is that? I said, well, that's the song I wrote at home, you know, but we just on lunch break. He says, well, can we cut that on Leo Sayre? And I said, well, I don't know, yeah. He says, but I, but I mean, I gotta get my part of the song. So he promises me my part of the song. It's not like it's a, a mystery or issue. I didn't know that I wasn't getting my part of the song until the record came out. So the record comes out, it's jamming, and I don't see my name on on it anywhere. I stand in Tower Records for two hours trying to find my name on a 45, if you can imagine that. I just knew it was going to appear, but I'm there for two hours. And the lady that was the security guard comes down to me who ended up being Bernadette the uh, meeting in the ladies' room, girl. You know, yeah. so Cooper, Cooper, climax. Yeah. Yeah. Bernard yes. Cooper. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Cooper was the security guard.
1: Because I'm not in the mood. <laughs> yeah,
7: see, oh, wow. She was. Um, she was security guard. She's about to arrest me. She said, "You gonna buy this record or what?" You know what I'm saying? Really? So I'm telling her I'm not about to start crying again. It was a lot of crying for a big dude. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm about to start crying again. She said, you going to buy this record or what? And then she finds, are you Ray Parker doing? What what you doing? She, she knew me from being a guitar player. She says, well, you got to listen to my music. I'm not, I'm not listening to anything right now. I'm trying to figure out what happened to my song. you know. And so I had given him two songs. I would given him that one and Jack and Jill. right? Oh. And so Carol Childs, who was his head of his publishing company, Felt so bad because she kept saying, "Well, Richard, that's a mistake. Richard's gonna make it right." And Richard also told me that he's gonna do a whole album on you. I like, I, you know, I like that. Give, feed him, feed him, feed him. Just postpone, postpone. Right. Promise him the world. He says, "You're gonna be Barbara Streisand. He's gonna cut a whole album on you, and it'll be by Richard Perry, and you'll be on Warner Bros. And that'll be the end of that." Okay, well then the contract came, it was like everything for him, nothing for me. You know, And I was brokenhearted, because I'm like, how could you do this? I thought we'd been working together on records, I've been helping you out, giving more ideas than maybe I should. Right. And he promised me a piece of the song, it wasn't like he had to give me all the songs, just give me my share of the song. So he didn't do that, and Carol felt so bad, Carol Childs is her name, at the time it was Carol Pinkus. she felt so bad about it that she took the song <clears throat> to Roger Birnbaum, who, when I was at A&M, used to go get the hot dogs, Right now, he owns the whole planet, <laughs> you know what I mean? But wow. at the time, Roger Burnbaum was the guy who got, got pizzas and stuff for us when we had the meetings. Rody, yeah. yeah, but I always treated Go him for- nice. Now he's the vice president of Arista, so he plays it for Clive. Clive falls in love with Jack and Jill. Clive calls up, I don't want to talk to any more white people in a suit and tie. Just don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I won't even meet with Clive. So this goes on for a month or so, and Clive is a very clever guy. He calls back, and he says, um you're a respectable guy in the music business. I'm a respectable guy in the music business. Let's say we don't talk about any of the stuff and we just have lunch. He says, hey, that makes sense. He says, how could you refuse just having lunch? I was like, okay, he's going to come correct. Okay. We, we just go, go have lunch. So Carol comes with me. We go to lunch and, one thing leads to another. Clive says, so what do you plan on doing with all of a sudden? Before he could finish, Tom Carroll says, "Race and make a record. Da-da-da. Then they, <laughs> they start negotiating. I, ain't, I like, on like, spot. whoa. <laughs> I thought, like, yeah, like it's, I, this has been prepped and I ain't, I'm, part of the, I'm out of the loop again <laughs> once right. again. And so that's how we started talking about that stuff. And, um, you know, he said, I'll get you the best. Yeah, we were talking about what to do. And to me, I said, I don't want to have an album like David T. Marker where they just kind of play it on the jazz stations. And all that. I said, I want to be on KISS FM, Top 40 Radio, mm-hmm. da 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 And so he told me what had to happen if I want to be on Top 40 Radio. He said, well, if you, make, if you don't make a record like all of them with all them notes and chords and da da if you cut it like Jack and Jill where I get the three chords, boom, we got it. So we made a deal. I told him, I'll never write a song that have more than three chords. <laughs> okay? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it's going to be intro, verse, chord. It's going to be very predictable. Intro, verse, chords, verse, chords, bridge, intro, you know, out. And I said, well, I'm going to do that. It'll be three minutes and 45 seconds long, and it'll be some chords, and we'll have some great lyrics and story, and that's the end of that. We we'll see the melody. We we'll ain't going to cover up the melody with a bunch of playing and that. And he was like, okay. And I said, but can you get – I want to be on KISS FM and da-da-da. So we, we had that conversation. And then we had an interesting conversation. He said to me, I'll get you the best producers. I'll get you the best studio, record plan. I'll get you the best ring. I'll get you the best of everything. And I just told him, you know, I really don't want none of that. What I like to do is just go home and cut it at home. Because by that time, I had put a little 16 track and board and all that stuff. And me and Reggie Dozier, Lamont Dozier's brother, we wired the whole thing ourselves. It took us two months. <clears throat> I mean, man. when I say wired, I don't mean plugged in. I'm talking about all the soldering joints, wired everything. Oh, okay. Oh, Did the whole night. Banana. I had to give him my TV set to keep going. At one point. You know, I wish I had a video of that was a crack deal, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it was pretty much like a crack deal, you know. And for those who think I wasn't dedicated, I recorded my brother's band A B C in, in early seventy four, wiped out twenty seven thousand dollars, which was a lot of money in nineteen seventy five census. And then I had spent eighty seven thousand dollars on studio equipment and putting the studio in the house, of which everybody then was 100% sure I had lost my mind. At the same time, I lost the song with Leo Sayer and getting kicked out of a <laughs> Just a whole bunch of things going wrong. Right. So at that point, everywhere I went, they would say, there he is, there he is. I can't believe that's the <laughs> idiot right there. He spent all his money. You know, plays the hell of a guitar, but he's losing all his money doing other stuff. You know. And just and, to
4: clarify, what was the song with Leo Sayer? The, the you Make Me, you feel, make like me dancing. feel Like Dancing. You yeah. Make
7: Me Feel Like Dancing. Yeah. 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 So things are going like really south (laughs) in a fast sense. So we wired a studio and I just told Clive I like to cut it home if you don't mind. Right. And his words to me, he thought about it and he said, "Okay." he says, but if you screw it up, you know, we'll listen to it. If you screw it up, then let's do it the other way. I thought that was fair. That was fair. Right. So give me a good shot at it. And I thought I could deliver it. The next thing that happened, I had done boss gags and a bunch of other stuff with Bill Schnee, who was the really prominent engineer did. I think he did the Asia album for Steely Dan. Okay. He'd won Grammys and at the time he was probably the, the the most prominent engineer in the business. All of a sudden, Bill Schnee, who I've been working with for years, he shows up at my house, right? Now, I know this is the work of Kavala Ruffalo and Carol Childs and everybody else. They're like, Bill, they keep, keep coming Were they in okay. your management too?
3: Yeah. That explains there,
7: everything. Well, yeah. wait a minute. Now. That explains they, everything. They were with Earth, Wind, and Fire. I know. Okay, so so they come over to my house to listen to the music. And so they, and they had no chair for them to sit in. So they're standing up and they're thinking, what kind of place is this? I got cables on the roof, the stuff, the drums in the bedroom, with mics hanging in front of the thing. You know, we didn't have enough money for mic stands, you know. So things are looking pretty raw and rough. And so they send Bill Schnee over to my house to talk me out of it, basically. And Bill listens to the song the way I cut it, and he he goes back, he says, "Well, besides the eight of the tracks are out of phase, and um, it don't sound that bad." He says, it's "Not what I would do." He says, "But if it's a hit, it's a hit." You know, I'm mentioning this because the turning point at that stage is when before then, everything I did was stupid, 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 <laughs> stupid right? Except write some good songs and play the guitar. Once Bill Schnee said that that record was gonna be okay. Nobody ever questioned about any of my studio stuff again ever in life. That was the end of it. That was the blessing. I had the yeah. big boy come over, He's put, he put his hand on me, that was it, right? <laughs> Next thing I know, uh, after that Prince was coming over, right? Because he came over and he he, he was like, what is, I? he came to Caballo Ruffalo and they were trying to sign Prince and he wasn't signing. He says, what y'all can do for me is take me over Ray's house because I hear he's got a studio in the house. <laughs> That's all he wanted to do. Right. So they call me up. They say, Man, Prince wants to come over to your house. We're talking to him about that. He says, But he, he just wants to see the studio in the house. He ain't he ain't saying nothing else but that, right? And they said, Well, you know, he's gonna come over and he ain't gonna talk much, you know, he ain't gonna say much. Wasn't like that at all. He he. I, I, when I got done, when I said he didn't want to talk to you yeah, guys, him, right. <laughs> <Man>, we were <laughs> hanging. Right, I was taking for a ride in the Rolls Royce, and we were cruising Sunset Boulevard, and you know, and he just wanted to get the studio equipment in So we we he didn't have quite as much money, so we didn't get him a JH twenty four like I had a, the MCI stuff. So we got him a Soundcraft board. Then I got my guy Steve the Soundcraft. Yeah, Soundcraft. My guy Steve flew back to Minneapolis, and we put it in there. And I remember he had a BMW six thirty six. And uh, so we, I got a stereo system done in the car like my stereo system was done in the car. And we were hanging out, you know. And so Warner Brothers wanted me to produce the next album. I think it was Sexy Dancer and all that stuff. All right. So he comes back to my house the next trip to L.A. And he plays me what he got. And, you know, we're supposed to be working on it. and. You know, I mean, I probably talked myself out of a lot of money, but I just told the truth. I was young. I, he- I heard the album. I said, I-, I don't know, see what to do with this. This sounds great like it is. Right. You know, so I told Warner Brothers, y'all should leave him alone. This sounds great just like it is. And so they put it out like it was, and it, the rest is history. Is a hit. Amazing. The
3: rest is history.
7: Yeah. In fact, I'm finishing a studio now, and what's so sad about it is, is every studio I've ever built, Prince was one of the first guys there. Really? And he is not coming to this one, unfortunately. I was planning on, you know, right. when I started working on this one, was like a year or so ago, I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll get my boy over here, bless it. You know, we go back to the, right, way, right. the way in the old days, the way we used to do it. you know. And this will be the first one he ain't making it to. Mm. That was important to me because here's another guy that, was, that had one hit record at the time, but at least what it made me think is I wasn't a complete idiot because, remember, everybody's making me feel like an idiot. Mm-hmm. So now here comes Prince coming over, and the only thing he cares about is What's he doing over there? I want to do that. Then Larry Graham came over, and he got the same stuff I got and cut one of a, one in a million on the same same system, same really? way. Wow! Yeah. and it's like
3: in his home, he cut that.
4: Room? Oh yeah, he
7: put the same. He said he did. Larry told me he did exactly what I did. Put it in the bedrooms, boom, cut it, and that was it. So, I mean,
3: but what's the sound that radical back then?
7: To to well, what was what was wrong in a studio, is unlike it is today. You guys have amplifiers. Everybody brings in their own gear. Each studio there had its own sound, sort of. And each, the engineers all stayed with sort of one studio. Mm-hmm. And so you would be with their sound. And it's not that their sound was bad, but if you wanted to do something different or you had something different in your head, if you're paying $200 an hour, you, you can't think about it. You know, you got to move. Don't so not for experimentation yeah yeah so what yeah. Prince wants to do is just play with the guitar sound let me play with a different sound let me play with a different drum sound for a minute let me see what that would do and so when you had equipment at your house it would allow you to do that fucking out the system I see. yeah and it was just the beginning of it so everybody kept saying you can't do it the walls don't work this don't work and it just wasn't true everybody said the equipment would break you need a tech person no, I never had a tech person nothing broke And so it was, you know, it turned into a different scene. You know, if you read Clive's book, what's nice about his book, first thing he says is, yeah, we did this a year before Prince and a year before anybody did it. We had had experimented with that and did it, you know. Okay. And it made me feel better about myself just to see some other people that I respected thought that I wasn't crazy. (laughs) Because I had been hearing you're crazy, you're crazy for so long to hear two other guys say, yeah, I don't think it's that crazy. That sounds like a good idea. And then they go do it and have success with it too was really rejuvenating.
3: Well, I I would figure, especially this is the, the era in which Stevie, who's constantly reinventing himself and doing the one man thing by yeah. himself, I would figure that all the labels would have been salivating for like, you know, we want our no. you know Yeah, you would think so. But,
7: but they didn't understand they just it. want somebody in, in yeah, their yeah. box. And yeah, they didn't understand it. They just want somebody in their box and, you know. Send them to the record plant. You know, their thing was, get this engineer, get this arranger, send them to the record plant, let's see what happens. Get this producer, get, you know, so-and-so to produce, and let's go, you know.
1: All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
3: I got I got to tell a funny story about this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't even think Ray knew this. When Ray's sitting with us at the Tonight Show and we're going over this, right? Now this is about like 4 months after like my dad's passing. Gotcha. It was weird. I I knew one of these days someone was going to trigger the the floodgate of of tears, <laughs> but <laughs> I think it's going to be the sound of Ray Parker Jr.'s <laughs> voice. <laughs> <laughs> you said that at the time. You said, man, Yo, you just broke me my, up. My, broke me. my whole goal was just like you wanted to escape A&M Records without yeah, yeah. like people <laughs> seeing <laughs> you break it down and cry. I was like, all right. I gotta get out this room, and I gotta make it to my office. <laughs> you know, with none of the Roots series, yeah, right, so yeah. they don't clown me. I try to get glasses. I didn't know glasses nothing. <laughs> but right. I'm like balling like a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I think God. I just ran out the room like I was dabbing, like <laughs> <laughs> right.
7: The longest dab ever. And it was it was
1: this song, Jack and Jill, particularly. That's the yeah. It's like
7: right. like just hit him, just hit him. For it some just reason. it just
3: well because that was the first song. I sang I in the, the, the second grade pageant, like at Performing Arts. You had to display some sort of talent or whatever. And so I remember I sang Jack and Jill, the second I grade pageant. I can't. And I see my parents in the audience. Yeah, right, yeah, right. It's and like, so it was just a memory. But I mean, it was nothing like the song, like Make Me Sad yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, right. oh, yeah. oh, no, know that's grief, though, man. Like grief, yeah, the it's memory. unexpected like that. It, it puts you in that come. place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it was just such an unexpected thing. And like... I was like, man, I cannot see... The Roots and Steve and Ray Parker Jr. see me crying. Cry like but,
1: but don't you think it's interesting because I was thinking about, about your music and I feel like Ray Parker Jr.'s music especially for seventy, late 70s 80s babies it gives them their memories of an era like it's kind of like a joyful time when you were yeah, yeah. a little younger you, know, you had my, no yeah. worries and you was my mm-hmm. mama's first crush. That was when know? my aunt had money.
4: <laughs> my aunt like she loves you. I, yeah. I mean she, she was uh, how I first got introduced to your music and uh, she would always buy you know the records and Stuff and like she had all the radio albums and everything, and um, it was interesting to me hearing you talk about your journey to becoming a singer. How you know that was something that I guess maybe you were a little reluctant to do, but I always thought you were like the coolest motherfucker ever. Like, right? I Thank never, you. Right? you know and that but,
7: too. But, here's, the, here's the trick. See, I, <laughs> oh. was, I was a musician first, and I knew what it's supposed to sound like. So when I first started singing, it was out of tune. I mean, I, I didn't need nobody to tell me. I hear it myself. So. I surrounded myself with people who could sing and then I started working on it. <clears throat> it's just like lifting weights. If you do it long enough, you get your voice and you get to go. But it wasn't until I think the third album when I did A Woman Needs Love is the first real commercial record I sang all the way through by myself. You know, like Jack and Jill is me, but it's also Jerry and it's also RNL. And Jerry's sitting on the high notes, by the way doing the ad-lib. Right. Thinking,
1: you know. Woman Need yeah. Love album, that's the one with you in the white pants and the peach back. and yeah, the, the peach.
7: That's woman. The, was, oh, the other was woman was the yeah, one. The that one. Was, yeah. See, that's why I said <laughs> it was some of it was during <laughs> the crack yeah, years because
1: yeah. that was, that was, yeah,
3: that was, <laughs> that was <laughs> the one. <crack> was <laughs> like, <laughs> I just can't get over loving you. That's like 80, yeah, 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 86, that's 87. We got to, we're, we're, we're still in recreation cocaine period. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> Wait, right. why are we always associated with drugs? <laughs> with drugs? <laughs> but right no, now, I don't do, do any drugs. drugs. Just say no. No, no, I know that. <laughs> no, but I didn't do it, but,
4: but you're absolutely you right. You got to
3: think was... of the, the worst tragedy that black people just to <laughs> associate. Yeah, right, yeah. Like, oh, oh, this is recreational drug period.
4: But yeah, that was the thing. Like, my I would always play your records. And the thing that later on, I mean, I'm listening to this stuff as a kid, but listen to it later on, the thing that I always thought was genius about what you did is that your presentation was very like smooth and like very sophisticated, but the lyrics like you be singing oh, about yeah. something, <laughs> you know, oh, some yeah, really savage yeah, shit. Yeah, I was like, damn, mm-hmm. like the I don't want to know about yours. You don't know about mine. Yeah, right, yeah, right. it don't make sense to look too hard yeah. for what your heart I don't, don't want to find. find that's shit, like.
3: <laughs> yeah, dude, it's like look. He made affairs sound like oh yeah, yeah a woman needs love just it like make, you. It makes sense.
4: It's like she yeah yeah your woman should get, she get you you'll get your heart broke out there homie yeah don't get caught slipping. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so how did you how did you organize radio? I mean, at what point did you bring Arnell? Uh, was Arnell Carmichael? And, yeah, he
7: was in my brother's band. Arnell and Vincent. And what was Jay, your brother's and, band's name? Uh, Energy.
3: And Perry Como had a had a really good quote, and they said like, "What's the secret to your success?" And he says, "Well, I never reach. I right. mean, I don't try too hard. Mm-hmm. But I, again, it's it's that our where it's where did our love go?" Theory. You you had it especially with 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 Jerry Knight, someone that can yeah. t- sang s <laughs> a n g you know to provide that. But what gave you the wisdom, especially on your first album? Because I'll be honest with you, I didn't learn this lesson until twenty years into my career. Like I've yet. Now that I have the wisdom, Mm -hmm. I'm going to try and apply it to the next week's (laughs) album. But it took 17 records for me to figure out, like, no, all this complex stuff you're doing, like, you got to do something simple. But there's an art to simplicity. Like, I know, like, people would tend to look down on it. But what gave you the wisdom to keep it at a digestible level that wasn't so complex that it wasn't alienating? I mean, but it was still appealing, Mm -hmm. but yet...
7: Here's what took me down a path, let's say. And I think it was a small tunnel. And this a, is why I asked your yeah, opinion on Clive Davis because yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that he has a very narrow tunnel. <laughs> oh yeah, it's,
3: it's, of yeah. this is a hit, this is not a hit. Exactly. He, he just
7: you he... stayed with him for the longest, so exactly. obviously <laughs> exactly. you had yeah, his you respect. Figured it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a narrow tunnel, especially if, when you think about music. You have to think about what is your gift to music. What are you talented at doing? What can you do? What can you not do? I can't dance like Michael Jackson. Still can't. You can put me on Dancing with the Stars. I'm good for the first week, but you know I can't do the spin. I can't I just can't do it. I don't have to, my bones don't beat with the drums. Like mm-hmm. ain't gonna happen. I ain't gonna go. So I figured out a long time ago. <clears throat> I don't think I'm ever gonna sing like Luther Vandross. I'm not gonna sing it like Gladys Knight. I'm not gonna. So therefore, take that away from the play. I ain't gonna get like Marvin. Take that out the puzzle. Uh, the people who play way too many notes and way too much jazz, which I could have done. They never got on Top 40 radio. So take that out the mix, right? You Can't do that. Now you got the musical genius guys, the Stevie Wonders, all that kind of stuff. They can figure out complex chords, Maurice White Earth and find them. somehow get back to another chord 80 chords later and it still works on the radio, Steely Dan. I don't know what they're doing. I don't understand that. Take that out the mix. So now you left with my hero. Uh, that I try to pattern myself off of on the first record, KC and the Sunshine Band. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) This came out of nowhere. (laughs) Wow, (laughs) But you are right. I don't want y'all to go to sleep. I'm trying to keep you awake. I heard KC sing Get Down Tonight, right? It was a number one record. It was jamming. The people were up dancing. And I said, he's singing two notes. Do a little dance. Make a little love. Get down tonight. Even the verse, honey, honey, me and you. And every now and then, woo, 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 <laughs> And that was the big one. Right. But everything the else was a little dance to do. Right. Make, you know, and I thought about it. I said, well, you know what? He ain't singing all the new notes like everybody else. He's got a hit. I mean, I could do that, right? I may not be able to do like Gladys Knight, but I can do that. And so I said, you know, there's got to be a way. You just got to channel it right to get those simple chords and to get it to move in such a way that it's it's comfortable for you, which I think Mick Jagger and a whole bunch of other people have really done really, really well. They figured out their style, their sound, and just play those chords that work for you.
3: Man, the things you learn on Questlove Supreme—man, <laughs> only on Pandora. KC, yeah.
4: I never would, I wouldn't have put that one together. That's wild. Two notes,
3: but you, your notes, yeah. you're making absolute sense.
4: Did a light bulb just go off over your
3: head, <laughs> dude? <laughs> right before a new song. Yeah. My, my career is not shit, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I got to do this.
7: It's got a new, new life to it. That's right. Yeah. And, and the lyric thing for me, which we were talking about. I'll never forget. If a couple of companies I went to early on, they kept saying, "Your lyrics suck." I got tired of hearing your lyrics suck, so I started. At what saying, period? When I was like eighteen, nineteen years old, they kept saying, "Your lyrics suck. Your lyrics suck." You know, and I said, "You know what? I'm I already got the music thing. I'm gonna work on this lyric thing, Listen So I started listening to like me and Mrs. Jones from a whole new standpoint. When I heard it was a kid, I heard the orchestra bum 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 bum. Ba, ba, ba. I said that sounds like Lawrence Welk. What are they doing <laughs> in Philadelphia? You know. Then I never heard. We meet at the same cafe every day. I mean, I was just too young to to get it. You know. Then I started listening to songs like "That's a Hell of a Story." Nobody like that. You know. I, I re-listened to "Let's Get It On." I was listening to a different way that was going, and it seemed like all the songs had deeper meaning to me, especially the Holland Doja Holland songs. Okay, which. They always had nursery rhymes, and they they tongue and cheek it. If you could beat me rocking, you can have my chair. Fee five fo fun. I can smell the presence of somebody. You know, somebody else been sleeping in yeah, my bed. I was gonna bed. say,
3: expose. What was their secret?
7: To did they tell you? Well, our formula is. Well, they didn't have no formula. First of all, Lamont and Brian and them, they get in the week. They they say they just go, you know, sit in the house for two or three hours and write four or five hits and be done with it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's what I said. That's what I said. I said there ain't a lot of encouragement, Lamont. I just sit down Brian say, they sit down. Brian had the classical stuff, so that's him putting on them classical chords. Lamont would come up with ridiculous lyrics, and Eddie did a little bit of everything. You know, so he had stuff. But they did really just sit down and say, Well, you know, Barry, call us up, say we need one on the Four Times, we need one on Dying Ross, you know. We know it's a big meeting with smoking everybody there. So we just write four or five up, you know. Knock like that up. Oh, we can then we go back to the rest of what we're doing. He said the records were coming in so fast they were just giving them out to their friends. You know, he said gold records they would come every weekend. We just get rid of them things. <laughs> get them out the house. <laughs> so there's and again that's a different group. Now Prince was in that group. You know, we have me and him would have a lot of dead space on the phone because I call him up and I'm cutting a Woman Needs love and I know I got to smash. I'm working on this album, I'm polishing, I'm getting it right. And then he'd be talking about you know I cut twelve songs. He's talking about he cut eighty songs.
6: <laughs> yeah. So we sitting on the phone
7: and I'm like thinking to myself, what the "Hell, you do that for. Why don't you just cut 10 good ones, you know? <laughs> when controversy was out, he sent me all of 1999, and all of Purple Rain, and all of the time, all of the girls. And I got all this music. I'm like, "What the heck is this?" Right? He says he says he says, "With a 1999 album is a double pack album." I said, why are you that double pack up? Nobody's buying that from no black folks at the time. You can't mm-hmm. sell it. He says, no, I'm going to sell it at this regular price. He says, I just, the Warner Brothers taking them too long to put the records out. I don't want the stuff to get old, so I got to just put them in the record. He says, yeah, I got the second record. So he's trying to work. He said, this is the movie. So he's trying to do the movie when. Controversy just yeah. came out, yeah. and ain't nobody even heard nineteen ninety nine yet. And I'm like, <laughs> I like that little red Corvette song, but, but what's this? You know, and I'm here do 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 do. I'm like, what the heck is that? You know, so he would just write that many songs.
6: Yeah,
7: you know. Then it became apparent to me later. You know, I think I was, solidarity and he was Mozart or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? You know how you get that (laughs) parallel? I watched the movie, I was like, ah, feels familiar (laughs) there. And, you know, I never forget, you know, there was one time, like Holland Dojo Holland, the same thing. There was one time uh, he went to Rio. And he won the piano at the top floor. So they, they took a helicopter, flew the piano knocked the windows out.
6: We <laughs> heard the
2: story.
7: We, we, yeah. we heard this story. We wow. Knocked the windows up, yeah. Yeah. So he's supposed to be there a week doing whatever. He stays a week and they knock they tear it knock it out, take the piano down. He comes back home, and says, yeah, I wrote a couple of albums. <laughs> so you know what? And how about this? It sounds crazy, but if that motivated you to write a couple of albums, I wish I could I'll knock the windows out if you can get me two smash albums, you know. Even a good friend of mine who just died. Rod Temperton always said he don't write nothing unless he's at his apartment on the freeway in Worms, Germany. This is Questlove Supremo on Pandora, and if you're just tuning in, we're into Hour 3
3: with our special guest, Ray Parker Jr., and we're talking about the process for finding the right lyrics
7: for a hit song. So where's your sweet spot? Like, where did these hits come from? Where do you have to be? I start with the lyrics. I like a good story. You could be telling me about you and your old lady, and you could let something slip out, and i go, oh... <laughs> so
3: you're sourcing information
7: from your friends? Oh and... yeah, I don't like to be singing about myself. That ain't good. That's like for, that's like taking your underwear down in yeah, public. Yeah. You know, I, I like to expose. You know, especially if you put two or three relationships together, you can see a path. It's and a composite. Yeah. Then I take that. Oh yeah, we are going with this because like a woman needs love. I don't even know how much of that I wrote. I mean, I had five girls in the studio, and while I went out to, the store to do something, I, how about this? I came back. I'm sitting at the board, and they're just gossiping. Yeah, honey, he got things coming. If you can think that, that's the way things used to be. You know, and you can hear him talking about, you know, back in the day. Right. Back in the day, you know, guys. Tell me, I, I used to tell people, don't tell nobody, don't tell nobody. Nah, I don't care if you tell or not. If he could do it, I can get me some too. Now you know he getting, I'm getting it. That was like. Look at this, and then Gloria Allred was on the news at the time. Oh, All this stuff God. was going. I thought you said she was in <laughs> <the> studio <laughs> with no, no, she, she was in the studio. Well. No, no. Like, but the girls were writing the song. They was talking about times have changed, things ain't the same. I'm like, oh, no longer will we be taking this. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And one girl's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He could do that if he want to come, leave me, straight. come home, and get his feelings. Her. I said, oh, I like that. One day you come Keep home, home early, early from work. Right. Open right. up the come door and get your feelings hurt. I just started <laughs> matching this thing together. No longer will the women of today be accepted. That I said, this is it. It's a, it's a song. This is it. you know. And I tell you, the biggest thing in the song, and this is why women are so sensitive to the lyrics. I said, she will fool around just like you do. Was not a hit. Didn't work. She will fool around meant that she was. She will fool around. That's wrong. She can fool around. She has the option to. She has the option to. Let me tell you, when I changed the she will to she can, all the girls smiled in the studio.
1: You gave us the option.
7: If I had said she will on the radio, I don't even know if that would have worked. But when I went to she can, it was a crowd pleaser. Yeah. Right? All the girls were like, what do you mean she will fool around? I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm trying to say this. She can. As soon as I hear she can, not well, that'll work. All the girls went. that way. Mm-hmm. So the she can, and I was like, really, y'all just over one word? I either got it, <laughs> yeah. Because the she can leads you in a little bit yeah, up. Up. The mean, yeah. suspension. The yeah. of suspension. She can or... means you did it. Right, See, it puts it back on you. Yeah. you did it. See, if she will, she's already doing it. And you know what? I, I at that point in my life, all my songs were so beautiful and romantic, and the girls and everybody loved me. You know, I wanted to be the bad boy a little bit. I was- you know. I just, you know. That like, helps, though. It helps. You said I just had soul the show. You told Diamond I wanted to that- show just a little other side. I mean, it's not, you know,
3: I, yeah, I got it. Did you feel <laughs> a little pressure that, like, okay, it's 1982, times are changing. Like, I better come out with uh, some edgier. I mean, because you didn't even really feature your, your your guitar mastery, let alone your rock guitar mastery. Yeah. All that much on these records. Well, You've you know, been really well, contained.
7: That, but that song, yeah, it was. Cause I wanted to make sure I wasn't a guitar player on the record first, you know what I mean? Right. But I but I started saying, yeah, I can play a little more guitar. But I heard, uh, I tell you, what inspired that song was Rick Springfield had a tune called Jesse's Girl, yeah, right. Jessica, I wish I had a girl like Jessie's girl, you know. And I thought that what a punk attitude that is. You know, I wish I had. Go take the bitch.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
7: Exclusive. Yeah. So, yeah. so, Exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> <scusi. laughs> That's what I'm talking about. I just thought, that ain't no that ain't the attitude. Right. I wish you wanna I had, go get her. I wish, and he's sitting back dreaming about wishing what he had, what he had, go get her. Go get it. But you kind of had that attitude as well
4: on uh, Jamie. Well, you, you yeah, backed yeah. it up with saying, you yeah, Jamie, yeah. she always mine. She's my yeah, girl. Yeah. Nah, but he also yeah,
3: said, yeah. like, you know, keep it to yourself. Like, I don't want to hear no shit. Oh, you hear about, or, yeah, I hear about <laughs> right. it, yeah. Well, I you know, wondered, like, would he have to bust somebody up for the <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, I saw your lady
7: the other day. But, you know, the other woman, I'm just the average guy. Fool around a little on the side. Never thought it would amount to much. Never met a girl whose love is so tough. Now, who'd have thought? Of one-night stand could turn into such a hot romance. Mm. <laughs> but when she did it to me, I slept and fell in love. I mean, it was just a true statement, you know. Nah, that's real. Calm uh, down, yeah. Calm cool. down and man. Calm down, <laughs> and, and, and then you, you go see, to yeah, Reason. That. I knew the rules of the game. You hit it once, break away clean. I should have never gone back, I know, but I had to have just a little, little bit, bit more. That, <laughs> that's right. Teach hey, the babies. My, <laughs> uh, teach, my, fr- my friends laugh. And that's all right. I may be a fool, but I know what I like. <laughs> now, I hate to have to cheat, but it feels better when I sneak. <laughs> 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 okay, well, then, the, then the line Clive Davis likes Oh, this affair is unique. All my life, I never met such a freak. Yeah, she keeps me going strong for so long that by the time I get home, it's all gone. <laughs> it makes me want to grab my guitar and play, play with, with it, it all night long. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when you're taking us to the class. <laughs> he heard that and just went, oh, that's it. <laughs> oh, he said, I man. love that. He heard that, he said, oh, that's it. He says, by, by the time we got to makes me want to grab my guitar, he says, play that again. <laughs> and want <laughs> to play with it all night long. He says, oh, that's smash. But do you smashed. know what a
3: unique position that is? Yeah. Because... <laughs> The legend of Clive Davis and being so hard to please as far as I know, him I know. knowing instantly when there's a hit, like that's some rare, yeah. rare shit to make him
7: that enthused about anything. Yeah, he loved Jack and Jill. It was his most enthusiastic song. He said smash. He loved the woman he's loved, loved, loved the other woman. He was not so into Can't Change That. Mm. But was that was hit. what he didn't like. Yeah, he, yeah. he didn't like that. He wasn't into that. In fact, they, they were canning the whole album. He said, okay, pick one, we put it out. If it's a hit, we'll put the album out. If not, go back and record. That, okay. was, that was that kind of year. So and you just can't turned out, change that. That's what got yeah. that album released. Yeah. Gotcha. But what was interesting, and, I, and, and it's, it's me bragging on Clive, is that he really did do the right thing. He said, okay, you you pick one. You think that's it? Let's put it out. And he didn't like Let's teach him and not put no money behind it. He actually went and promoted it and gave it its all. And the song blew up. So he says, okay, it was a hit. That's it. That. Put the album out. And the other one he didn't really like that much was Ghostbusters. <laughs> 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 Whoops. Wow. He said, you can take that to Geffen when you go. You know? Oh. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> the shade. So you're saying <laughs> he I didn't like the rock horn it. album at all? No, he didn't like that. He wanted to start over. Really? Yeah. What didn't he like about it? He didn't like nothing about it. He didn't hear no hit. <laughs> he didn't like anything Damn, about it. nothing. And you know there was uh, everybody was because Jack and Jill was a novelty song. They thought it was you know, and uh, which I thought was here's what I thought was funny. Le- uh, Lamont Dojan and McKinley Jackson were teasing me about writing a nursery rhyme. I said, but I learned it from you guys. <laughs> Talk about <laughs> y'all the guys. Got, you. you know, y'all the guys taught me how to do it. Wanted young man, single and free. I mean, y'all taught me this stuff. So I was writing, imitating them. You know. So, so can I, say, I ask? When did you?
3: Dissolve Radio, like, and what was the radio, arrangement made? Were you guys like, okay, are we really a band, or is it just like,
7: oh, let's let's talk about that because that's fun. First of all, I love all the guys in Radio, and we're best of friends today. The ones that are left, and and when I first put the band together, I was a young kid, and I just wanted to split everything. Now, even though it was my record deal, they were signing me. I had the studio. I paid all the money. I wrote a song. It didn't matter to me. I was like, just let's, let's get five guys. Let's split everything. That was my thing. Good thing God made sure that didn't happen. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the band led by Jerry. Funny thing about Jerry Knight, he's the biggest troublemaker, but he was my best buddy, and he would apologize for it later. He didn't hold back. He would say, "Man, I don't know why I did something that stupid." You know, he broke up with Jerry and all of him. Mm-hmm. But so the whole thing was Jerry was the first guy to put the pool the band again and say, "Look, we don't want to be signed to that white label." Arista has the Bay City rollers and Barry Manlock. We don't want to be signed. Why don't you sign? We just want to get paid a salary. So that took me off of the split the money thing. What? (laughs) Wait, wait, boy. That was his words? (laughs) That was their words. They all collectively got together. But what was another option for them? The the option for them was to sign a record deal and take one fifth of one piece of the band. They didn't want to do that. They didn't want no piece of the band. They wanted cash and and, and they I'm couldn't sure was,
3: see the 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 big picture the final it was
7: spearhead by Jerry I tried to talk him out of it. They weren't hearing it. they all wanted money and they wanted money I didn't have. I think they wanted five hundred dollars a week on tour or something like that and me buying the instruments. so I went and borrowed like two hundred grand from tour support from Arista to, to pay these guys ahead of time because the record has just came out. I had no money and what was interesting is when the record hit, the single went gold, album went gold, uh, Jack and Jill album went gold in London. Now we're playing Hammersmith Odie in London, and I go out with the, the head of the British company, right? And, and we go out to some club, and he's saying, yeah, man, things are going to I said, man, life couldn't be better. I said, it's like a dream come true. He says, well, I, said, I don't know how to tell you this, but your band wants a, a separate deal without you because they had met some British producer, I forgot who he was, inspiring them to leave. So some of your guys, he said, some of your guys are leaving. And I'm like, I'm looking they for They told you this. This is the, this is the president's telling right. me, the president of England. All right? Not Clyde, but the president of the British okay. company. He's speaking a British accent. I'm like, he thinks I'm some, he think black people all look the same. He thinks I'm somebody <laughs> else. What's he talking about? Right? And then he names the names. Man, I was about to cry so hard again, I had to get up and go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get up and go to the bathroom. I'm choking. I had to go recompose myself and come back. Tell me what you just said again. I couldn't wait to get back to the hotel. So then we have our blowout meeting at the hotel. And I'm sitting with the guys. I'm saying, I said, what is this that you want to deal by yourself? What, is this? what are you doing? Then it all came out. Well, you're getting all the royalties and we get nothing. I said, You're getting the money you asked for that I right. borrowed, and I'm still paying off on the last tour all the money that you took. And you took the keyboard, threw it off the stage. That was three grand of my money, you know, and I bought all the instruments. Threw it off the stage? Threw it off the stage. Who's y'all the who? <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they must have saw the movie or something. You know, so it was interesting. And then, you know, Jerry looked at him and said, No, he's made five million on net on the tour. Five million net on the first tour. They were eating popcorn when we were playing, you know. But right. he, said, he thought I made five million net on the tour and another five million on the album. I was like, really? Because I'm in the hole trying to right, be, you know, right. surface above. And it wasn't, th- so immediately, three guys in the band quit right after the first album. I think it was Charles, Jerry, and one Vincent. Okay. And Vincent wasn't even studio guy. I said, "Please don't leave, Vincent. You know you, they can't use him in the studio. You're not gonna do anything. Don't worry. We going with Jerry. Jerry's going to sign into a deal. Well, Jerry got a deal and didn't sign none of the other guys. He let them oh, up. So they're wow.
3: not on overnight sensation. No, none of the none of the Jerry no, Night joints.
7: No, they're not on none of that stuff. Ain't no and, stopping us none of that. Okay. And so Jerry, Jerry got in with Don Kirschenbaum. Yeah, the producer. Was right. it brainstorm? Was he? I'm messing. Up, I'm messing he, up the name, but that's the Don. Not not Kirschenbaum. Yeah, David Kirschenbaum, I'm sorry. Okay, And he had cut a rock and roll record. So, you know, then Jerry came out here, man, I'm sorry to this. So I looked at Jerry, I said, you know, Jerry, this is 1979, whatever it is, I said, you heard a crossover, <laughs> you got to get on R&B radio first, for your top 40 radio, I said, they ain't gonna play none of this stuff, okay. So I talked him into cutting Overnight Sensation, cause he didn't have that on the album.
3: I always thought that was a radio record.
7: Of course it sounds like a radio record it was in I had e, to get him. It was the funk. And how about this? Even though he broke up the band, I'm still trying to save his butt, right? I said, man, look, <laughs> the record you played me, ain't nobody playing that. It was all rock and roll. I said, you need to cut. Why don't you cut one and stick it on the back and see what, you know. And the one record was Overnight Sensation to saving. him. Then we started Ray Parker Jr. And radio. And then when I think another guy left and Clive just said, that's enough all this personnel change. We're going to Ray Parker Jr. That's it. Wow. So he switched it like that. But in the meantime, after Jerry messed up his album, then he got out. he didn't hire none of the guys in the band, so they were left in the cold, man. So they didn't have my gig and they didn't have his gig either. So the leader the What was that like for them? The, it was terrible. They never recovered, you know. So the leader left them in the cold. And uh, the next thing was was uh, hooking Jerry up with Ollie, you know. So I got those two together and, and they he looked
3: out for him again with with Ollie yeah. and Jerry.
7: And so him and Ollie, they cut a big smash record with, you know, there's no stuff. us, no yeah. And then Jerry would go on stage without Ollie, but Ollie be in the dressing room and Jerry's already out there performing. He would just do crazy stuff. You know. <laughs> he was he'd come up front. He was clean with it. He says, Man, I did it you know, even before he died, I'm the one that got him out of the hospital a few days before he died. When did he pass away? He cancer. He died in nineteen ninety seven. Oh man. And we spent most of that year together. He probably knew he was sick and I didn't know he was sick, you know. And he he told me some things that I never uh, Never dreamed of. Because in my mind, I'm, I was always trying to help everybody. Because I mean, there's plenty of money for everybody. Y'all go do it. But he always wanted me to sign him and take his publishing. He always wanted me to do, to do it. And I used to say, man, I can't do that. I'll show you how to do it. <laughs> you can take the money. Like, he did a bunch of songs with the Jets. I was going to say, yeah. he wrote Curiosity.
1: Curiosity. Oh, y'all Curiosity. really meant those Jets. Oh
7: yeah, yes, Jets. Yes, yes. He wrote Curiosity oh, wow. and, and, uh, and a two or three other big hits for the Jets. Crush Jet. on a, you. Crush on you. Yes. And when he played me those songs, they sound like Jerry Knight records, right? And then all of a sudden, he was 50-50 writer with Aaron Zygmunt. I said, who's Aaron Zygmunt? The song sounds the same as it did last week that you played for me. Well, he got the deal, and he can get it placed. I said, what are you uh, talking about? I said, what are you talking about? It's the same song. Amateur right? hour. Yeah, and so he ended up splitting it and, and giving him all the production and what the rest of it. And in the end, it was an interesting conversation Jerry looked at me, he says, "He says, you know what, I'm a genius number two guy, and he was. Mm. Even after he left the band, we would always talk, he'd coach me on lyrics on the other woman, he said, no, you can write a better verse. Or you can." Write. He was just a guy, he says, I'm a genius number two guy. He says, but you're the number one guy, you should have signed my publishing, I would have been better off. Mm. And in hindsight, you know what, he's right. Uh, I didn't see it, uh, maybe he saw it. My thing was, well everybody can do this, let me just show you how to do it, but everybody can't, can't do everything. Uh, you know, everybody, can, it would have been better off because I would have paid him on time, <laughs> represented the songs. He would have been cool. But he said, he says, I, I'm a number two guy. He says, he said, leaving by myself. He says, I'll destruct everything. He says, I'm destructive.
3: He says, I am. It's that sabotage yeah. I told y'all yeah. about. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> he says, I can't it, help it. Yeah, it yes, happens. He was
1: conscious of it. Yeah, he was Most conscious people of it. He
7: said, that's what it is. He said, it ain't no change. That's it. He said, but if you had led it and you had taken it, we would have got through this, you know.
3: For those just joining us, we're still talking to the great Ray Parker Jr., uh, going down, uh, not even going down, getting life lessons. <laughs> this is Love Supreme on Pandora. Getting life lessons, and we haven't even gotten the Ghostbusters. Yet. I know. <laughs> so, let's, just, let's, 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 let's jump in the pool, bro. <laughs> it. Let us jump in the pool. Are you allowed to tell the Ghostbusters story? What Ghostbuster story? Exactly.
7: <laughs> yeah. i will tell you i will tell you everything you want to know Open to the book. best of my ability
3: okay so as as a guy who's, who's done a little bit of of scoring work and whatnot yeah you know i often have clients that will say uh you know let's let's take a song like let's take drake's hotline blink like you know for my show okay? cut us like, something like that yeah cut us something like exactly that. um So, to at least hear Huey's side of the story. Huey who? Oh,
1: no. (laughs) Who's that? Oh, Uh -oh.
3: Who's that? Uh All right, to hear Huey Lewis's uh, version. Uh, Am I to believe that they pitched him the Ghostbusters movie, he thought it was rather silly, and didn't want to license I Want a New Drug to them, because he thought the movie was silly and kind of dismissed it. And... You know, just took his ball and went home. And then, is this where they come to you? Like, well, first of all,
7: well, give me the go- Let me give you my my take on it. Yes, give me. Your, I didn't even. Yeah. I never heard what you heard. And for the record, I song, never ever thought that Ghostbusters sounded like I want I still don't drug. think it. Sounded yeah, I don't either.
2: I never thought it did.
7: Yeah, but yeah, it, but just sh- here is what I found out later, and this was only after I heard that they were doing a lawsuit, something like that. I guess they approached him first. Yeah. To write the song. Mm-hmm. to write a theme song. I don't think they wanted his song, but I think they wanted him to write a theme song. Okay. And then they put his song in the temp track, along with three other songs that sound just like that song. Yeah, temp track. They, they all, the all have one, four, five chords, a bar band chord. Right. So right. so if you were <clears throat> if you were um in the room as a musician, you would know not to write neither one of us a ballot because you know that the guy wants an up-tempo mm-hmm. song. So right. they head you in that direction. I had no idea they approached him. I had no idea about any of that kind of stuff. Okay. I think it was unfortunate that he named me in the lawsuit as, and named, you know, and all that stuff. I tried to take him to dinner in Germany, but I guess his guy said, don't talk to that Ray guy. You know? right. oh, <laughs> we're about to get paid. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Don't talk to that Ray guy. I had no idea what they were talking about. When I go, you, I ain't afraid of no ghost, I, none of that sounds like the same song to me. Yeah. But I think that maybe he had a case because they called him first, and they put his song in the temp track. Mm-hmm. I think that's a thing for him and the movie company to discuss. Now, right. on that uh, on the settlement, or whatever you call a settlement, or whatever they got for it, and and I can't talk about the case, and I'll tell you why. Because <clears throat> I have a genius lawyer named Don Passman. <clears throat> and Don oh, Passman, he wrote the book, Donald uh, Everything S- You Need D- to D- Know Donald About the Music pa- Business. Yes. So, yeah, that, that was, was like genius. my text. What book? Donald Passman, uh, his lawyer, he wrote a
4: book yeah. called Everything You Need to Know About the Music Business. The music business class I took in college, that was our textbook. It was that and the Kashif book. Yeah. Those were our two textbooks. But
1: that was like the Bible for yeah, all things publishing. Bible, yeah. Straight yeah. Up.
7: Well, Donald Passman's oldest client is me. Wow. I've been with him since the beginning, and that's a whole nother story. That goes through Bill Cosby back to Bill Cosby again. Because Bill Cosby was represented by this firm that's not in the uh, yellow pages or anything They're like, a, <laughs> you know. And the only way you get into the firm is somebody brings. So Bill Cosby brought me into the firm, and that's how I met Don Passman. It's like at the, the beginning firm. of Ohio, like, yeah, the top 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 it the like It's <laughs> like the It's very much like Tom Cruise. The firm. It's very much like that because a couple of people I told about. He says I can't find a phone number. I don't see any advertising. They don't, you know, they don't advertise. They handle very the elite group of people. And so <clears throat> my lawyer came to me. He says, "Okay, uh, things have." worked out or whatever. He said to me, do you want to know what happened? Right? And Ray Parker answered, do you want to know what happened? is Got anything to do with me? I mean, I like, <laughs> what, are we talking? what are we talking about here, right? He says nothing to do with you. I said, oh, that's interesting. So, and then he says, I just prefer not to tell you. He says, because at the end of the day, we have a gag rule on this finding for whatever they're going to do. He says, doesn't affect you. And if I don't tell you You about don't know, it, you can't tell. You me. can't talk. <laughs> okay. So I've never broken the rule because I don't know anything about the rule. I haven't. I don't know what anything of it
1: was. So that means. It has well, nothing
7: you... to do with me. My name's on the song. I get paid. I don't know. Or your pockets, about it. right? Nothing to do with me. I don't okay. have. The... So I never talked about it because I don't know anything about it. But he talked about it. Why the gag rule? Like, who does it protect? I don't know. I don't know anything <laughs> about it. My lawyer said, you can't talk about it because you don't know you don't know That's a smart lawyer. He says, I know you ain't going to talk about it because you don't know nothing about it, which he's correct. So now in 2003, I think it was, VH1 was coming, calling me several times a week, which I thought, wow, I ain't that popular. Why am I getting so many phone calls to be on TV? And come to find out they had his version of Where Are They Now, and they want to have me on Where Are They Now and play them back to back. right? Mm-hmm. So he said a bunch of stuff in which I sued him and I won. Uh-huh. <laughs> he broke the gag rule. He, yeah, he broke the gag He Was on TV. And how about this? I like Huey Lewis in the news. I, I don't have anything bad to say about him. I never met him. Have you guys seen each other in the last no, thirty years? We've never seen each other ever. And I think the, the the sad part and the irony part of, it, I think he takes it more personal, because of however it happened. It's one of those things. Just the the bomb built itself. But I really had nothing to try to do that. And I think if he had any gripe, maybe he should have had it with the other guys that did it. but for some reason, it it seemed to be directed in my direction more than I think it should have been. Like I hear people talk about him, they say he's a nice guy. Other people say, I'm a nice guy. Now, when they're approaching you to
3: do this, yeah, and I okay, so the end result is, I mean it's 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 really a dead and it's it's a dead heat tie. Between who owns the national Halloween anthem. I mean, it's either you or Michael Jackson
7: neck and neck. But I prefer to think I'm the winner. But- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love well, okay. Rod Temperton just passed. I love Rod Temper. I mean, you know, but I like I took a picture. I'm just Rod. saying around this time, like yes, this yes, is when your yes, yes. this is when your checks start looking real nice yeah. around this t- So you're thinking like that. I'm starting to get concerned because I'm the only living songwriter from Halloween left.
1: Oh no. My like
7: Bobby Boris Pick, I did some shows where he's gone. Yeah. Now Rod Temperton is gone. Yeah. I mean, you are kinda lonely here. I no, mean, but I guess if who you gonna call for Halloween? I mean Ray Parker Jr. You ran out of still here. To call, yeah. So I mean at the time, were you thinking like,
3: yo, if I write the right song, this will be played, this will be the happy birthday to you no, of Halloween season. No, 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 no. But you gotta admit. That it's never died. Yeah, you're talking about the. And end is it time. a burden? Is it a burden that? No, is the winning lotto ticket a burden?
7: Does it ever get too heavy to hold? You know, I love you. Ever? What are you saying? Ray, you know, I love you because Dude, you, my ringtone. I mean, the the screen saver. No. Play your ringtone. The Play your ringtone. Logo. Give the people what they want. Oh my <laughs> god! I
6: mean,
7: I mean, you know, give the people what. They, when people call me, they tell me don't answer the phone. Let it ring through. You know. And so it's just, you know. That's, screen screensaver is, is, is the
4: Ghostbusters yeah. logo for those. Yeah, I, yeah. You can't see that. We just see it. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> And if you
7: ring the phone, it plays not who you're going to call, but who you're trying to call. <laughs> Leave your name and number after the tone. Man. Who you trying to call. I mean, you know. Can like, you call him right now? I was, well, I call me. Call called. me. Nick, call me. Yeah. You're going to like <laughs> this. Oh, <laughs> quest question <love excuses. laughs> Another question. Ray. Parker quest love call Ray yes. Parker Jr.'s ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> calling on
6: my phone <laughs> who can it be yes <laughs> leave your name and number after the tone now who you gonna
0: call hey talk to <laughs> who you to call be clearly
6: <laughs>
7: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome
6: <Yeah.
2: laughs>
7: okay. is
1: that available on some not, other not yet, platform we should hmm.
7: make that available yeah. but as with all Ray Parker stories, you do want the juice, right? Always. Yeah. Because <laughs> no, you guys are leaking, from, but you're way over there and it starts over there. All now, right. Take us, now, take us there. In the Barry White days, there no. was a guy named Gary LaMell who ran Barry White's publishing company, Aaron Schroeder, at the time. Right. Okay. The other woman got a temp job working for Gary LaMell at Columbia Pictures. Who I just happened to be, me and her were doing whatever we were doing, mm-hmm. and so that hooked me back up with Gary LaMille, who wanted me to save him by <laughs> writing the song, oh, my old friend, Ray. that's how we made the connection, Wow. okay?
3: So he, he brought the project to you?
7: Yeah, and so he figured that I could, he says, you got the right humor, you got the right thing, he says, I think you're right for the job, I'll give you 50 grand, just go write the song, Whether we if we don't use it, you keep the money, what the heck, uh-huh. they had it like that, you know? And... It wasn't going to be no record. It wasn't going to be any of this. It was 20 seconds of music at the library scene. So I wrote a minute and 15 seconds of it just because I don't know how to do 20 seconds of music. You know, <laughs> By the time I do one group and go to the other group, I got a minute and a half, of, You a know, minute and 15 seconds, a minute and 10 seconds, something like that. And so I played the guy a little snippet I had, and that's what he loved. I He just loved it, right? <clears throat> Went to the meeting, he loved it. Called me at 3 in the morning. I was sleepy, getting the stuff, girl. Now there's some magic to those girls yelling, go, girl, there! It's really hot. Okay, so now, I was dating a little valley girl um, in, in the valley. I woke her up at five in the morning, told her to get her high school friends together. Because the messengers coming at eight thirty nine o'clock, and I need to get these voices on. And it was their first time ever being in the studio, so they were excited as they could be, like six, seven. Of them. And this is you recording at your house. This is no, what... this is recording at American Studios. Oh, American. For them. Okay. So Thanks. they're screaming and yelling Ghostbusters, which I think made the magic in the record. You know, that's how the song came about. And then we took two tape recorders and started linking the tracks together to make the song four minutes long because I only had a minute and 15 seconds of it. And then the breakdown section, that's just me playing some stuff over the same groove without the guitars and the bass (laughs) and overdubbing and just making sections out of it. But it's really only a minute and 10 seconds of of music. Uh, See, you can't, you
3: can't, but not that. I think that when you tend to overthink it or try to like concoct, like I'm going to make an anthem for Halloween. It never happens. No. You no. just got to do it. But he just yeah. wasn't even overthinking it. it. was just like, to you, was this just a, some arbitrary, <laughs> me grab his 50 grand and see it's what's that, up. Exactly.
7: I take the money. I told my account, you ain't going to see it. I'm spending this because it's my bonus. money." <laughs> so Wait, so, right, so right. What,
3: at what point did you, at what point was the, oh, God, like
7: the holy shit, the. This is my. This, this is going, shit. By it's oh, it's going too bitch. fast. Let me tell oh. you how the best idea of my life came. Okay. Okay. The first thing is I got the music really quick. I had all the stuff. I was jamming. I could not. The guy wanted the words Ghostbusters in the song. or oh, I don't get my 50 grand. Well, we're from Detroit. You don't get your 50 grand. Just don't get it back. We ain't getting it back. I'm going to put it in there. But it was impossible to sing Ghostbusters, right? I mean, it was just, it wasn't even Ghostbusters. I, I created it. It was Ghostbusters is what they kept saying. Ghostbusters. We want Ghostbusters in the song. You heard it now, so it's not fair, but at the time, they hired plenty of writers over the span of a year, and nobody could get that word in the song. It was a stupid word to sing. You can't sing Ghostbusters. It just doesn't sing. So you're saying other people were trying to demo... Yeah, they had, they had, the guy said they had been doing this a year. They don't like none of the songs. director don't like none of them. Who else tried? I don't know. There okay. was some famous people try.
4: But it's interesting he says that because that's the same thing like Bobby Brown did on the second Ghostbusters. Yeah. He didn't sing it either. No.
7: The On Our Own joint. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, didn't he didn't sing it either. Sing it either. But see, He, was he rapped off, it. Yeah, but he was off the hook. They wanted Ghostbusters in the song.
1: Right, because he didn't have to say Ghostbusters. He Bobby, Bobby Brown already oh. got a
7: theme song. So here's, where, so here's where we're at. And I'm sitting there, so I got the song done. And I haven't called the girls yet because I don't have anything myself. So it's like, nah, it's 3 4 o'clock in the morning, my fifty grand starting to float out the window. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And then this commercial comes on TV, of which I wasn't really trying to write a commercial, but I remember the part of the film, they had the Ghostbusters with the backpacks and they had the phone number under it. And and when I was half asleep trying to stay awake, but trying to write this lyric, I was dozing off half asleep, and on comes this commercial on TV. With like some insect repelling guys or the you know, this, the exterminator guys and they got their backpacks on they look just like the Ghostbuster guys to me. Or the Washes troubles down the drain or whatever that, you know, roto rooter guy. Mm-hmm. Some some kind of guys like that. And so I'm looking at it when they, they got the phone number, who do you call? And I went, They look just like the Ghostbuster guy. We're gonna make it who you gonna call? Yeah. Right? So That's Detroit. I, I said, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Who they going call? I said, Well I'm just gonna like not Sing the words Ghostbusters. I'm going to let the crowd go, Ghostbusters. And I just go, who you going to call? So my song is, who you going to call? I had no idea it was going to be commercials and rest. Of, I mean, it didn't take it. But that called on like wildfire. As soon as I sung that, the director loved it. He says, oh, man. that's he says, I like the way you are going. And he was a Jewish guy, so he says, "I'm not afraid of any ghosts." He said, "But you going? What are you saying?" I said, "No, man. It's like I ain't afraid of no ghosts, man." He <laughs> says, "I like how you phrasing that." He says, "I like." He says, "I like the phrase." It's, he says, "I said y'all had a background." He says, "No, I like how you're saying it. I like you go out. I'm not afraid of any ghosts. I'm, not, I'm like, and I'm looking at him like I'm looking at you, where we at, dude. Where we at? And I'm saying, no, I ain't afraid of no ghosts." He says, say it again, slow. I said, I ain't afraid no ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> and I hadn't really thought about what I was saying. I said, no, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. You know, he says, I like that. Man, so we did, we redid it, and that's what changed the whole world because when they, when they license the song for commercials, it has nothing to do with the movie because they don't license Ghostbusters. They license who you're going to call, and they put their own name in the back of it. Ah, uh,
3: that's real. Okay, my question is, are you, is this your song or is this like whenever someone wants to utilize Ghostbusters, do you have to go through a whole protocol of getting the movie company and da 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 Come da Come on, da. Donald Passman, I know
1: it. Come on, Donald Passman. <laughs> he was on
7: it. It's pretty much my song. I knew it! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, now, there are protocols. Okay. If the movie was released like this film, there's a three-month moratorium on each side.
3: Dude, I totally forgot Ghostbusters got released again this year. That's right. (laughs) Yeah.
7: There's a three month moratorium on the front where they don't want people to do it. But I have such a wonderful deal that if you offered me a million dollars to do it within that three month period, they can say, no, you can't do it. But then they'd give me the million dollars. Oh. So I still don't lose the money. But, but I mean, doing it as in you can't perform it anywhere? Or, or, you oh, no, so I, mean I can like, perform it. I'm just talking about if they want to use it in commercials or other stuff. It, you, know, they, you know, when you do a film thing, they don't want you in conflict with the film.
1: Right. So you can't do any commercials for the first three yeah. months before, after it comes yeah. out? Yeah,
6: before or
7: after. Now.
1: But you own the words, too. Yeah. Like the merchandising when of I wrote, the words. I wrote the whole thing. So the merchandising yeah.
7: of it. So yeah. we're coming out with a clothing line, a Ray Parker Jr. Collection's clothing line. Cause I think they figured out that on the words, so they want to put the words with the characters. So we we have a T-shirt line and clothing line coming out. Did they
4: use the yours in the two I haven't seen part the new one?
7: This is part three, by the way. Oh, oh, yeah, part. Three they used a, a snippet one. of it. In my opinion, they should have played the theme it song. It didn't open
3: the
4: film
7: every yes. time. No, but they put it in there some parts. But you know, every time to me, Indiana Jones. Duh, 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 that's how you know the good guys are kind. Just play the same theme song mm. good. I, th- I hope next time they do that, you know. But they played a little bit of mine. Then they have twenty other versions where they mixed it up and did it different ways, you know. Oh. And then they cut a whole album where these guys—I mean, I, I got rights to probably ten songs on the album, but nobody had a hit on the album. Wow, movie did well. I mean, you know, they tried it.
4: Yeah, they tried. it. <laughs> they tried. They tried. Maybe, <laughs> maybe next time they'll just go know who to call. call. Yeah, who to really? call. Uh, call Ray Parker you know, Jr. I
3: hope you know. So when you're turning in this master, at what point do you realize? I have the national anthem
7: for Halloween in my hand. two weeks after it comes, and out. it will never die. It will never no. like oh, no Halloween. We didn't know till later. I didn't even think about Halloween, but so you're not seeing a grand level. No, I'm not, the not grand even thinking scheme of- about Halloween. The only thing I knew is the the record came out. Well, I'd already told, been told what's going to happen. You know, the the movie in those days would come out almost a, nine months later overseas in different places. Mm-hmm. So, Clive had already said, "Okay, we released a single." In front of the film, and then when the film comes out, we'll wait and release it overseas da 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 and they were you know in those days they want to stop as many imports as possible, so they just let it low low and within the first two weeks, we had sold so many records, and Clive says, what do you think is happening they're exporting the records we gotta ship it out overseas he said but the movie's not coming out for eight nine months we're gonna be way ahead of the film he says i'm i'm torn between putting it out he said but my distributors are making me put it out because they're selling so many of them and i think within the first few weeks we sold three and a half million records overseas there were exports so yeah. they forced him into releasing it. He says, Why do you think they're buying this? They don't understand what you're saying in Italy or other places. I said, If I knew that, I would have cut a bunch of them. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know why they're buying the record. Put the record out, you know. So, and by Meet them, when Meet came came um, that February, we were up to like, I think they gave me a record with 15 million selling albums or something like that. It was just crazy. It's one of those songs that took off every. Everybody's, there was something in the song that's so infectious or so happy that you didn't need to know what language it was. You didn't need to understand everything. It just went number one in 52 countries. It just just went, everybody. And even, it wasn't a burden on you like? Oh no, all that money to, to the banks. <laughs> 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 Way right, <laughs> right. in my pocket down my pants. What was my... your family saying
3: now? Oh
7: then We're they like, like okay, okay you got a job oh yeah yeah see he's all right you he's, now. Gonna, he's all right yeah he's gonna be all right. So you know?
4: aside from uh, the Ghostbusters, uh, we read that like you're
7: I think the highest paid guitar like the highest oh that's nonsense grosser. I read that thing yeah <laughs> well you know what what I like about it is you know you read uh, you can't believe everything you read I, first of all my my kids <clears throat> they come up to me said Dad we read your your net worth two million dollars right. All these different things, $2 million. And I'm thinking, where did you get that number from? We just spent a million dollars just on the yes. studio, oh, the backyard. Okay. What about the rest of the place or whatever to do? And then that article comes out. He's the highest paid. He made, he's worth $400 million. He just made an $89 million last year. I'm like, I did? You know what I'm <laughs> so it's Racist. somewhere in the middle. Uh, I don't even know if it's the middle, but you know, it's somewhere uh, in between. This. It's kind of crazy, this thing. I mean, who comes up with this stuff? Who writes this stuff on the man? And then my neighbor, he's worth like eighty million. I mean, all these different numbers. And Denise Williams was worth almost a billion dollars. Denise Williams? Yeah, she's worth like nine hundred and fifty billion dollars. How?
1: On the same website wow. that, oh, the, you same
7: same website
3: that yeah. the same right. website that said I was worth two million.
1: Don't be silly. Yeah. Get it?
7: So I'm I, just saying there's I'm all okay. these numbers and nah. I'm telling my kids, I say, you can't believe everything you read. Look at this right here. You know. Man.
4: What other stuff were you able to put your money in and like invest in
7: and stuff just to stay? Yeah, stay on well, top. you know, I lost lots of money years ago, especially in the stock market when I got too greedy. But recently I had a really a good landfall. I bought a bow bunch of that Tesla stock. It mm. was at $27. Ah. I mean, a meaningful a lot. Enough where I made in five months a few million dollars. I got to leave. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's even better? Because I'm older and wiser, I actually cashed in. most. Of it. I still got a lot of it, but I cashed in and took most 80, 80% off the table. I was smart enough to finally, you know, so I, I look for little things like that. I mean, I do the safe stuff now, real estate, a little bit, bonds, you know, that kind of stuff. Stay out of trouble. Pay your taxes. Get, don't, you don't want to be going to jail like the other guys. You know, keep the country rolling. and Just just do normal stuff if you, if, you, if you pay attention. The the key thing with money is just not to buy more stuff that you got money for. Everybody wants to look like this. If you like this, it's okay to look like that. Don't go up there, you know. Just don't get out of hand with it and get get stupid, you know. Life lessons. Life, yeah. So, okay. Uh
3: I guess doing the, 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 the tornado of the success of <laughs> the single. I noticed that in 84 you didn't put a record out though. No. And we put out
7: Ghostbusters and they had me all over the place. And did I was Sex a and a Single Man that year? Or that the next no, no, that was later. We yeah. did put a record out. Chartbusters? Chartbusters. Yeah. Right. And that was Clive Davis's thing. And greatest I never hits? get Yeah, the, okay. the greatest hits, which we'd already had a greatest hits out <laughs> the year before. He was, I said, Another greatest hits? Let me tell you something. We packaged the greatest hits. I had a cold on one of the songs. He said, Just put the thing out there. Cut the stuff, sold a million plus albums.
3: Whew. Wow. Right. So
7: he, Clive was right again. I mean, it was an unbelievable payday for not a lot of work. You know. So that really happened great, you know.
3: Was, I don't think that Man Should Sleep Alone, was that on Sex that and the Single Man was that on? the Geffen
7: album. Sex and Single Man was the last end, What was the album. end of Arista, the, the next record? Sex, Sex and, and the Single, Single Man was le- the end of Arista, yeah. That's where they didn't promote or anything. They just kind of let it go, bye-bye.
3: But, okay, that was just one slight blemish. And yeah. You wanted it off or was it like? Oh, no,
7: no, I was off for of Arista in 83. Before Ghostbusters. Uh, oh. oh okay. Yeah. And oh. it was a, it was one of those things where um, I think it was a misunderstanding. I never wanted to leave theirs. To, but Clive wanted me to do a Dion Warwick album. And he called my manager. And somehow they were arguing about the price. And he says, well, if it's going to cost that, I want to know what does it take to renegotiate Ray. And we think, what do you renegotiate Ray for? I got four more years left to the contract. You know, yeah, somewhere in there, he wanted me to do an album, and, I, and it, uh, to me, it was a total misunderstanding. And things got out of hand, and he had offered some really low amount of money, and everybody got nervous. And David Geffen offered like an enormous amount of money, mm. and it was too late to turn back, sort of a deal. Yeah, so I ended up signing with Geffen. Like did he way hate? Back did then. he hate losing you? Or? Yeah, but we we remain friends. I actually went back to him a little bit later, <clears throat> and uh, so when I cut Ghostbusters. I was really already sort of leaving. So it could go either way. But I gave it to Clive because I said, well, you could put it out fast. And he didn't like it. I said, well, you don't have to like it. They're going to pay you all the money to promote it. Just take it and press it, and put it, put fill it full of your album, fill the album full of your artists, and go, which he was wonderfully happy about. You know?
3: Okay. Like, my, I'm the t- greatest party <laughs> gift ever. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Let me tell you
7: something. I'm, I'm a very fortunate guy because – after that, I went to Geffen, and we cut that I Don't Think Man Should Sleep Alone Dad yeah. the Dark Album, uh-huh. which did well. Went gold in England. Uh, they kind of missed the ball here, crossing it over pop, the, usually the way that we do all my records, mm-hmm. because David Geffen was selling the company at the time. Mm. And and I remember the numbers. I'm like, I think he gave me a million dollars up front, another million due the record, and he said, I'm getting out the music business. I'm selling the whole company. And if you go to, to MCA, you can keep all the money. You have to pay it back. I was like, I'm down for that. <laughs> <You> <laughs> just keep the money off the pay it back. you know. So that meant I went to MCA, but I kept my contract where they owed me all the money. And I'm free and clear, and I'm starting at zero. Oh,
4: wow. It's all the same umbrella. It's all in the same umbrella,
7: so I'm yeah. starting at zero. So I said, that, that works. The only problem is I got to MCA, and even though I had a hit on Bobby Brown and those guys, you know, the- That's right, used to tell man. Yeah, I had another Which artist I was going to reference there. in the roll call, but- Yeah, I had another <laughs> artist- <laughs> And I had an artist, Randy Hall, signed there too. Oh, I yeah, remember Randy Hall? Good, Randy they, Hall was your artist or Yeah, yeah, he was signing me. Oh, okay. And I signed him to MCA. And so now I'm going to MCA after all of this A so while it's going on. And they did, they were like they wanted to have an A and R meeting and listen to what I was gonna record and all that. And I just wasn't feeling that. Was like kinda like making an actor audition what?
3: after he's already had the
7: my contract said I could do whatever I want to do. And you give me, I think it was a million bucks up front. Just give me the million bucks when I start. So I hadn't got my money, right? And they were talking about, well, you can come on in. I said, come in where? Come in to where the, is my million dollars there? What are talking about my money. You know? And I had a bunch more albums that they had to take, like several more albums. And so the the conversation came up as, as to, and my parents were sick at the time, so mm. I really wanted to spend more time in Detroit. It was hard for me to record. Okay. And so that's why I said this worked out Perfect time, they decided to to get rid of me. Right, but they was
3: this under Gerald Busby,
7: or no, he had just he? left. Okay, Ernie Singleton and Lou Salas Junior. Yeah, okay. Love both of those guys, but they were going to do it this way, which was fine. And they, and so the 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 idea came, let's buy Real. So believe it, I, th- I I thought my lawyer, I thought he was crazy. I said they'll never do that. You know they'll they'll just make me cut all the records and they'll go sell them and do whatever. Well, you know what? They they wrote me a big fat check for all the next several albums. And I didn't have to do anything. Man, that
3: is unheard of. <laughs> wow, that is unheard of. Yeah, I mean, how do you deal with the changing times and when the advent of of hip hop coming in and like how are you dealing with this? I've heard various. Uh, if, you, if, if, if you heard uh, the infamous Michael Henderson rant in Japan, <laughs> there's a there's a famous uh, Michael Henderson and yeah. Norman I ain't Connors breaking it down. Yeah, <laughs> a, a Japan rant where he <laughs> just this motherfucker down to a whistle. <laughs> <laughs> we please break it down, please. Where he's just you know kind of ranting over the changing times of yeah, music yeah, yeah, and yeah, how yeah. it's it might be leaving him behind. Like how are you taking it at, at that moment?
7: You know, it's the interesting thing. I never really thought about getting left behind, and I never really thought about changing. Um, I think I do so many things in the music business. There was a time I took a lifelong nice vacation, which is probably after that. You know, mm-hmm. I my check. I just felt like, you know, I moved to the mountains. I bought an airplane. I started flying around the country, you know, uh, water ski. So you just wanted to take it yeah, easy and chill? Yeah, I bought a really nice airplane that, that I can fly at like twenty five. I can fly to New York and back. You know, some people take vacations. Amir, I know this is amazing. <laughs> you see my vacation <laughs> right <laughs> now, right?
4: Like, like John Travolta
1: and Ray Parker Jr.
7: and, you know <laughs> and <what>? Stevie Wonder in <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> an airplane. So <laughs> no. I got a little, yeah, making plans. So I got a little out of, con- not out of control, but you know, I, I started was like water skiing, everything that I dreamed about. I bought a house in the mountains and lived up eight thousand feet overlooking the lake and the fresh air, and ride with snowmobiles, ski eighty days a year, and just had a wonderful time of it. You know. Girls couldn't even find me because they didn't know where I lived. I fly my airplane to the girl's house, have a date, and I split and go back home. They ain't but nobody find me. Life you know, I goals. was having a great time. <laughs> and I did that for several years. Wait, and
1: that's allowed?
7: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Hey, if you I got mean, a plane, you, you got do your what own you plane. Want yeah. when I had
7: motorcycles, dirt bikes. I mean, I just was having a great time. This went on for a while, you know, till I met my future wife. <clears throat> then what I, finally made you decide to get married? I don't know. I, I met a girl like none other that I would rather watch TV with than go bang a couple of other ones. That's, it. that's real. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, it was just uh, just a... That's romance. Yeah, it was real romance, <laughs> I think. And, you know, And I feel that way today, even. <laughs> I want to say that's my later. wedding vows. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> but that's, babe, I want to watch TV with you. Yeah, that's
4: you, real. Yeah, you have a record, a song on you York, the Mexico, uh, yeah, 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 When yeah, you yeah, talk yeah. about that. Was yeah. that inspired
7: by her or by your wife? No, was... I was just in Mexico writing some songs, just fooling around. You know? <laughs> Wait till you hear the next record. I mean, I'm almost halfway done with it. It's funky. It's 1983. You know. Gotcha.
1: Ray right. <clears> said throat> he throat> don't write about his life. He uses yeah. other people's. And,
7: and the one I'm doing now, this is I'm cutting uh, me. What what am I cut? This new record sounds like me, Funkadelic, Rick James. I mean, it's, it's that era. You know, it's back to my era. Mm. Uh, if the instruments were created much after that, I ain't gonna have it on there. I mean, that's um, our era. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, and you right, know right. what's interesting? I don't feel the least bit because I'm not really money motivated to make the record. So I don't feel the least bit. I gotta listen to what's on the radio and try to go booba booba booba. If they go booba booba booba, right. I just want to do it my way, you know. What I mean? And just keep I, it true to what it is, you know. And people, if somebody says, "Well, how are you gonna sell?" I don't know. Maybe we sell it. Maybe we don't. But I never really made music to, to, to try to make money. I was always trying to make music because I love the music.
3: How do your kids feel about your career? Like, do they know that you're the coolest dude walking the planet, or no. was it?
7: My kids thought nothing until they saw me get a star on Hollywood Boulevard. And really? That, that got, let me tell you something. I never, they don't move over anything, right? But we came home from the star ceremony and my youngest son took the picture of somebody down and hung his star up that I gave him. You and I was like, really? I mean, y'all really, we got to y'all. I mean, we finally tapped you just a little bit. <laughs> how, you know? how old are you kids now? Uh, I got a 30 year old, 28, 16, and 18. So the younger ones, you know, the right. older ones, you know, they, they grew up with all this nonsense. They ain't getting it, you know. But the, for some reason, yeah, but for some reason, even the older kids, The star on Hollywood Boulevard was a life changer. That was the game changer. Forget all the money, forget all the rest of stuff. They know they live in a house that the money bought. They got that. But that's just their thing. But for some reason, the star thing, everybody got, you know, even my wife, we were driving home and I said, I don't know about your other boyfriends, but I bet you they want no Hollywood star. (laughs) (laughs) Where they put you, right? Okay, let me tell you something. I thought we were gonna have something going, right? And she looked at me, she says, I'll let you slide with that one. I'm, like, I'm not even gonna go with that. I'm gonna just she put the blinders on. She didn't even you know, she let me she let it go. She didn't even let that one go. So that was a, a interesting thing.
4: Yeah. With your kids, like how do you because they grew up, you know, particularly the older old ones grew up growing up in that kind of ghost Yeah, yeah. How do you teach them like the importance of work ethic and like what are they into? I kicked them out of the house and cut them off. (laughs) That'll do it for you. (laughs) Like four or five years ago, and they (laughs) both. Well,
7: you know, they start. You know, the the problem is the kids. They think your money is their money.
1: Mm -hmm. Cosby lessons. Yeah,
7: yeah. You know, so I kicked my kids out, and you know what? They all fell to the ground, and now they're all making a lot of money, doing well. Yeah, and so hopefully the younger ones will do the same thing, and it's really painful to the fire. I told my kids the old story. It's going to hurt me more. It's going to hurt you. But
0: guess what? Get the fuck (laughs) out!
7: I came home one day and both of them were supposed to be looking for a job. One had graduated college. One had dropped out. And they were at the swimming pool drinking margaritas. Uh And it was noon. I said, what's up with the job? They said, we searched all day. All day, it's twelve o'clock. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so, awesome. I, so how old were they when you finally put them out? They were like uh, twenty-two and twenty-four. Okay, got that's reasonable. You get lessons. I think mean, that's
3: <laughs> every
1: one.
4: Of, dude, one that's every black got, household. That's, well, shit, that's right. I'm, I you was. You 18. got seven years. I
7: mean, I was it Ill. may have been twenty-one and twenty-three because the oldest one had graduated. Right. So maybe it's twenty-three and. That's 21. why you
1: give them an extra couple and of years. And the other
7: one dropped out. Right. I said, so well, now you got to get
1: Y'all can move together. Share
7: my split.
3: Split the cost. Bruh, he that's. That's real. Like did you ever have a deadline like when I was 20? Mm-hmm. My dad was like, "Yo, yeah, really? <laughs> something got to happen." <laughs> Mine yeah, wasn't. Yeah. Was I'm 18. I'm lucky. I got my record deal like within <laughs> a year and a half. Right. Like but yeah. I got super lucky. It was
4: 18 for me. And I I knew once I graduated high school, I was just like, "Yeah, I can't come back." So then I went to college and even coming back for the summers was tough. You know what I'm saying? You <laughs> <laughs> so, had to pay job. something. Yeah, I, yeah, oh, oh, totally. I was working Drink in the all the stuff, everything. So then, finally, my senior year, me and my buddy, we got our own apartment, and so that was. That but was then it. I also yeah. had a kid on the way. I had my son on the way, so that kind of damn.
6: You that'll, doubled that'll, down that'll on that. That'll
4: double down, yeah. panic. So I was, I was hustling, and then I graduated, and then we signed our first deal. We, compl- we complete the listing like a couple months after I graduated.
3: So, what about you, uh, Unpaid Bill and Steve? Your parents were like, I was out of the
4: Get house. Get the fuck it. out. I still him. live with my parents.
6: <laughs> <Yeah>.
7: <laughs> 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 He's like, Roger, danger, Phil. <laughs> Don't stay home. Let your parents do <laughs> you. Yeah. Right, back right, right. to school. <laughs>
3: yeah. uh, are there any last I I have one last question, but it, I have to rewind back a little bit only because it means so much to me. But um, I I just have to say, like, your your theme to Pryor's Place, oh, oh yeah, yeah, oh, <laughs> <great, man. laughs> yeah. yo, know, that that was one of my favorite shows ever. Like, what was it like working with Richard Pryor, and how did, how did you man, get that?
7: That was wonderful. Um, I got that because I was dating the director's daughter. <laughs> the other other woman.
3: Yo, are you a <laughs> hey, I mean, think hey, mean, I need one more like
7: campfire story about
3: Ray and the ladies.
7: Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna leave the rest of that alone some too. Some though. white
1: but, pants uh, and the peach
7: in the back. <laughs> so her dad asked me to come in and write the song, you know, and, and working with Richard Pryor was wonderful. And it was like a dream come true. Then they put me in the video and I'm bouncing the basketball and Richard yeah. Pryor come I in. I'm like, oh man, this is as cool as it can get, right? And all of a sudden, I don't know where the ratings come out. The, the thing is going great, and it's a kids' cartoons. I mean, kids' thing. So I'm thinking, wow, this is every everything. This is it. I got it. Then Richard Pryor just says, I'm want to do it no more. Man, like after several episodes, he just, and everybody's like, yes, what in, happened? I thought if we said the ratings were good. He said the ratings are good. He, Richard just doesn't feel like doing it anymore. You know? Man, no, so it wasn't the like, ratings was, that did it. No, it was, he just didn't feel.
4: He
3: it was just, him. Just
7: changed his mind.
3: It was the Black Sesame Street.
7: Yeah, he just no, changed his mind. I remember his place.
3: he came on 11:30 right before Soldier.
7: Yeah, he just decided I'm not gonna do it no anymore. Wow, and you know, and when that happens, you know, you are like, <clears throat> what about us little guys? You know, just trying to, you know come on, you know, it yeah, must be nice. Must be nice. Just walk away right in the middle of it. Don't care. You know, let's go. Yeah. So, okay,
3: any any, I mean, your new addition session was okay.
7: There? You're gonna like this. So. I wrote Mr. Telephone Man right alongside Jack and Jill and some other stuff, all at the same time, right? And I thought stupid song, Mr. Telephone Man, I don't know, why'd I write that? So I can it, and I don't do anything with it. And we end up recording it on this kid, on Geffen Records, kid Junior Tucker. And they, they, for some reason, they throw his album away. David Foster cut some first, Jay Graydon had come some, they didn't like anything, and they gave it to me at discounted budget. And I actually finished the record for him, got it done. And then they just canned the thing and didn't do nothing with it. But somehow the new addition heard it through this guy Dale Kawashima, who used to work for Michael Jackson, cool. and uh, they loved the song. I didn't know that they had heard it, so Gerald Busby called me up in Detroit while my parents were sick, and he says, uh, "I want you to fly to New York, uh, Boston, <clears throat> hear these kids singing, because you know they want you to work with them on a song." That's all he didn't say. Write it. He just said, "Work with them on a song." Mm-hmm. And my parents were sick. I'd been in Detroit for months. It's freezing cold. And he wants me to go to Boston. It's January. Not even. Not feeling it, right? So I tell Gerald, thanks, Gerald. Man. I, I don't think so, man. I'm staying. <laughs> I'm feeling it. So Gerald, being the smart guy he was, called back a month later, a few weeks later. He says, how about we take the jet and go to the Bahamas and stay at the Trump thing there and go to the restaurant and we party." I said, that that works. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> so we fly down to the Bahamas. We rent motorcycles. We go in a casino. We eat at the same restaurant. Donald Trump stands over there. We're sitting here and we party so hard. We get to the kids' concert. They walk off the stage. Right? There's Mr. Parker. How did you like our song? I ain't even heard it yet. <laughs> I ain't even heard it. <laughs> Gerald looks at me. I'm looking at him like, whoa, man, we're late. We missed the whole thing, you know, and we're like, "Oh yeah, that was great." Yeah, I was, I was, I was, you know? and so I go back and I'm feeling bad now because I'm like, "Man, man, my parents are sick. I'm really not feeling this write the song thing and go back to you know." Just he says, "Oh man, you ain't got to write the song." He says, "They they were playing your song. They just want you to re-record it." You know, I'm like, "What song, Mr. Telephone?" I said, well, "How'd they hear that?" He says, "No, they worked out there. Rain. Right? They 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 know what they they want you to cut it just like the old stuff." So we got went back to California and uh, the, the kids say look, just cut it just like, in fact can we buy the old track? I said no that belongs to you, you can't buy the old track. But it's me playing all the instruments so I'll cut it again. So I put all the instruments together. Yeah it felt so vintage, drums. even yeah. with the. Yeah yeah yeah, so that's me playing, I play the drums and overdub, I'm, I'm like Stevie, I put the drums on last, you know. Oh, so I man. play the bass and all the rest. Well that's how the master taught me, I'm just doing it like he did it. So I put all the stuff on, we get the track done. We get the singing on. Ralph sings the verses; sounds great. Nobody can sing the chorus except Bobby, because he's he didn't want. He said, "I don't sing; I rap." Man, right? I said, "Well, you got to sing because ain't nobody else singing it." Right. So he's yelling and screaming up high. So we get him on up high. Later, he tells me, "You know, I saw him a few weeks ago. He tell, he told me, he says, well, Ray Parker Jr. said I could sing, so fuck it. I quit the band. Said so I do my own album.'" <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Boy, that was a confidence building." You <laughs> in the new edition? No. Yeah, he All says, right. "I'm gone." You know. But uh it was interesting. Uh, they cut we cut the record, turned it in, and they were a little out of tune on some parts. And it was work to get the vocals done. So Gerald Busby looks at me and says, Man, can you cut four or five more songs? You know. I said, Man, I can't do that. I, I'm doing this. He says, Well, get your boys Ollie and wasn't even them do it. He says, They can ghost it for you. He says, You got my permission. So I go to my boys, I say, Man, y'all y'all want to cut this stuff? I got pockets full of cash burning here. You know, do this. They're, oh, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do it. I said, yeah, but they said we don't want to, nobody want to do it. it right? Why? <laughs> I just didn't want to do it. No, I couldn't get all I mean, people who needed my People mine, had integrity
3: in 1985? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah.
7: They, yeah, too much integrity or too much poor judgment. So nobody would take the money to do it. So that's how I ended up with just the one song. I turned the song in, and believe it or not, that's the same week when they called me for Ghostbusters. Oh so when Gary LaMelle called me from Ghostbusters, you know, I had been at Spago's, and I was sitting with the lady right there, Claire. We were looking at that red. I mean, black poster with it. it. just had a circle on it or something yeah. like that. I said, like, what is that? And I said, I got a phone call from my friend about that. And what Gary was saying was, you know, spend, two, spend a couple of days, I paid you to write the song. I says, man, I'm not doing this song. I, I'm going back to Detroit. He says, he says, you're not doing music. He says, what are you doing here now? I says, I'm doing a new edition. He says, well, you not doing, doing music then. What are you talking about? My money ain't good, but there you know." So that's how he talked me into doing this. I was already in town doing a new edition. You know. So he says, stay two more days, 50 grand. Yeah. <laughs> So that year I had Mr. Telephone Man and Ghostbusters came out the same year. Man. Hey, Game s- changers. Wow. Game changers. Yeah.
3: Ray Parker Jr.,
7: thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This is yeah. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> hey. yeah.
3: New edition. Ray Parker Jr. almost didn't happen. Just like Ghostbusters almost didn't happen. Just like Jack and Jill almost didn't happen. Man, I I don't know what lesson I like. There's so many. The I, I don't know if it's that I should start dating all the daughters of all the <laughs> men I work for. Or... Mine is I'm kicking my kids out of the house.
4: Yeah, <laughs> you really I need mean, to know that information. You're like exactly what. Yeah, it. I'm like, what was the date? I mean, because
1: twenty two and twenty four. That's the yeah. lesson. Because I haven't raised after the seventh. I've yet
4: to, roll to write a Ghostbusters. So, um, yeah, yeah. my kids, so, <laughs> so they got to go. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so so they your kids go. they are numbered already. Oh yeah, man. That's they what know. you're taking for this Ray Parker Jr. Yeah, they, they
4: yeah, they they, they got to get out. <laughs> they got to go.
3: They got I mean, once they <laughs> They're not legal yet though. yeah They're but, not not right. they're
4: 15 and 10, but, <laughs>
3: but No, nah, i well, 15, you're My basically saying in 7 3 to 7 years, 15 got to get out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. My, yeah. yeah my, <laughs> I, oh yes. I mean, it was like that for me. You know what I'm saying? I did. alright I ended up in the room with you, motherfuckers So, shit.
4: <laughs> I
3: did. alright So you saying that a child has to suffer to make it in life?
4: Yes. I don't necessarily think you gotta suffer. I just, you know what, man? It's 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 tough because like we were talking about this in the Carlton night. Like, you know, looking at uh, what was it? It was you, God, right? Right. You right. Know what I'm saying like his kids are like super nerds, nerds and shit. Yeah. So a lot of ways, like hip hop. And the kids of entertainers, hip-hop has afforded the kids way better lives mm-hmm. than the fathers and mothers. You know what I'm saying? Right. So that's the good thing. But then in some aspects, you kind of lose that thing that made your dad... You hunger. Know, right. The, the, or the Or whatever. A hunger drive, whatever. So you kind of got to walk that line. It's like, okay do I want to give my kids everything that I didn't have or do I want to make them live like Antoine Fisher so I'm oh, just kind of like not, I mean not like no. not quite yo <laughs> you're not taking I man. I mean not I mean I'm mine still is like, here I'm still here yeah. I'm still strong oh, oh nigga. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who your people be so no nah, I mean so that's that's my that is my conflict <laughs> because I want to give them the things I mean, I don't want my kids to, like, grow up, like, in a crack house and shit, like I experienced, but at the same time, I don't want them, you know, to just be soft and, and be pussified. He mar- margaritas <laughs> by, by the, the pool. pool. Right, right. Yeah. you supposed to be a goddamn job At noon. Yeah, nah. So so
3: that was my lesson, from Bray Parker Jr., kick your kids out of the house. <laughs> to the, to the Coleman children, I'm sorry. I just wanted a radio show to nerd out a little bit. I didn't want this to be... The moment of your life changing. Uh, awesome? So, Bill, you seem to agree. About kicking my kids out of the house? You would <laughs> kick one daughter out, would you? You know it. <laughs> 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 like tomorrow.
2: <laughs> no, I'm playing. Uh, <laughs> but, but you're not. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, uh, I haven't given much thought to kicking my kids out of the house. I feel like Father's well, days, a few years ahead of me. So,
4: Yeah, your kids, your daughters are much younger yeah. too. So, you, you got some- I mean, there are
3: days. <laughs> on, for, I'm for, sure those, for those Come that on. are late jordan <laughs> there's two kids in unpaid bills life yeah. and one might be testing his patience just a little bit more than the other one testing everybody's patience not just mine but do you feel i mean is it too late she's only three right
6: she's
2: four is it too late to do what give yeah her back. To do what? <laughs> give, give her back
3: <laughs> yes it's too late for that i have about three friends who thought one one of them infamously said you know, he had a son and a daughter. He says, well, you know, I'm going to save my bail money up for my son. <laughs> and the college tuition up for her. And now they're older. It's the complete the opposite. opposite. <laughs> the angel is now a nightmare. I've heard that they switch. And I've heard that. Right. Yeah. So it's, who knows? Yeah. Like the apple of your eye might, you know, it might be bail money time. I mean... I hope just I have. Give a, him all pole, I have just keep, yeah, him off, keep, keep him off the pole, bro. I have a bail. That's what I was about to say. Anything you need do about girls, is keep them off the pole. It's the only thing you
5: need to do. <laughs> I've heard that. It. All right, so Steve, drop drop some science, man. What what'd you learn, man? I, I I thought some of the interesting things he was talking about was the Stevie Wonder playing drums on his stuff last. Yeah, yeah. What the hell is I, that all about? I mean, about? that's that makes that's, a lot of sense. And it it's, does? Just so, How? it's just so it's just mind blowing. How does it no, make sense? no click? Yeah. So he's playing to what? Well, he because
3: does. Steve is one of the most adventurous uh, hi-hat yeah, players totally. of all time. That just makes Stevie a lot Wonder. of sense. The, the the fluctuation of his drumming.
2: This is because he does it last. And, and it's,
3: I it's never might the have same. to try that. It's I'm, never I, the same. I'm going to cut a song and like Root's that and see if it makes a difference. The Root's album. Yeah, every that's different. what
5: I was thinking the whole time. You know, got to well, try this. <laughs> I <I'd> love that.
3: <laughs> well, in two weeks let's 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 yeah, try that's that idea.
5: That's something cool. And that's um and also Stevie Wonder's apparent competitiveness with, with Ray Parker and trying to trying to on the Shaka Khan thing and all that. Yeah. Um and then the that bat, pugilism that, skills as well. And that Barry White didn't like overdubs and he was he was doing all that. No, but in general we're choosing people here that seem to know everybody, who have, seem to have done everything. And it's like, it's just so much data going, mm-hmm. you know. We need to choose somebody who just did like a one-hit wonder.
3: So, Lie, what did uh. what did you learn besides the fact that you might <laughs> possibly <laughs> want Ray Parker Jr. to be your, your baby dad? Or just
1: at least a soundtrack to, you know, me and my baby. You know what? I learned, and I learn this every week on this show. Excuse me. Not jokes. But I learned that you you got to pay attention. And it's funny because y'all made the joke about having a one-hit wonder on the show. And I'm like, you know, a lot of people listening might think that Ray Parker right, Jr. Right. was a one-hit wonder. So it just goes to show that you, and not to plug our own show, but you need to pay attention to Questlove Supreme because you will find out some shit that you never knew. And then I think at the same time, you should have your phone open on Google and Discogs or whatever else you need to do so that you can be, you know, a more musically educated person.
2: Bill? Yeah, what's up? What did, Boss, I, what did I learn? Um, I, I learned that it's a good idea to maintain relationships. Mm-hmm. Because you will never know when you will need certain people again. Uh, any other last words, Boss Bill? Um like as far as stuff. Maintain that learned, relationships or, and what yeah, else? Ma- maintain relationships. Um Ray Parker Jr. is still one of the coolest dudes on the planet. Yeah, man. Still still, still.
1: Talks
5: like he sings. He right, was,
3: right, y'all think Drake's gonna be that cool when he's sixty no. something? Drake
5: isn't that well, cool okay, now. Okay, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> Amir, but, we forgot, I just realized we forgot to ask him, uh, Ray Parker, what it was like to, uh, to be Lando Calrissian in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good, good night, ladies and gentlemen.
3: This is another episode of Quest Love Supreme. Tune Boss
5: in. Bill, tune in next week. He wasn't Lando Calvary. He wasn't. He? <laughs> yeah, he, nah, nah, he, that wasn't him. was Light him. here, Sugar Steve, Unpaid Bill, Fante. <laughs> edit. Scott
3: Sperm. Wait, what Scott it? Scott Yeo. Scott Yeo. Scott Sperm. What the <laughs> fuck is that? <laughs> oh, 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 oh,
6: oh.
3: You thinking about Super Unpaid boom. Bill? <laughs> <laughs> this is Quest Love. Uh, come next week, uh, again, at 1 p.m., Eastern. Eastern Standard Time. 10 a.m. 10 a.m. Pacific. Pacific Standard Time. And uh, we hope you <laughs> still are listening. It's Quest Love Supreme. Pandora. Thank you. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through... It's true magic, because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. It's time for today's Lucky
9: Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
2: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow Grease